1: The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka
0: Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts.
2: I'ma chill and let them have it, cause this is just an intro. Keeping the strong style, six stars from the get-go, boy. Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome, this is Keeping It Strong Style. With your host, Jeremy Donovan, and the young boy, Joshua Smith. And thank you for listening. Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Dalvin here with the young boy, Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll be re- reviewing Resurgence, the conclusion of the Super Junior Tag League, answering listener questions and covering all the news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our T store, social SocialSuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t shirt. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider making a one time or monthly donation by visiting slash donate, clicking the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man?
3: What's up? (laughs) I said, what's up?
2: You're, you're in an R-Truth mood today.
3: <laughs> you can get with this, or you can get with that. Better get with this, because this is where it's at. What's up?
2: What's up?
3: <laughs> Dude, I don't think uh, in all the years of travel that we've done together, I have been as zapped for energy or wiped out post-trip as I have for this Resurgence show. And I think most of it has to do with... The time lapse, you know, the jet lag, even though it's just three hours, but also the fucking travel that we did, man. Like, that was a crazy travel schedule. Like, whole days of traveling. Like, it sucked.
2: But, so, like, we were, you know, traveling the territories, going from making towns, going town to town.
3: Yeah, bro. It made me think, like, do I really want to be a wrestler? <laughs> <I've> ne- <laughs> it, what's funny is, like, I've taken some pretty horrendous bumps and done some crazy, you know— you know, classes and drills and camps and stuff. And I've never been like afterwards hurting, thinking like, I don't know if I should be doing this, but like thinking about traveling like that, like, damn dog, I don't know if I want to ride in a plane this many hours.
2: Like, this <laughs> sucks. Yeah, man. We had some <laughs> long flights from Tampa. We stopped off in Phoenix and from Phoenix to California. Then, you know, we we're there for two days and right back on a plane from Phoenix you from california phoenix to tampa
3: yo that phoenix airport let me tell you some of the worst airport food i've ever experienced <laughs> like you come to the airport in uh tampa like we we got like Col- la columbia you know like a five-star restaurant just chilling there like there's all sorts of great like restaurants and stuff we went there we tried twice on two different occasions we tried two different restaurants we we're like maybe this one will be good nah Uh, And then another one, we're like, oh, that sounds
2: good. Nah, that was weak. Yeah, it it was not not the best food. And it was, of course, very expensive. (laughs) Yeah, and then Southwest,
3: man, those seats, bro, I was, it was just so tight. Like, I'm so tired. I slept, I literally slept 10 hours today. I slept a full eight hours and change, which is rare for me last night. And then two one-hour naps today, try to, like, break this, uh, you know fatigue but man I'm I'm feeling it
2: <laughs> yeah not to mention you know our flight was super delayed uh on the way back home our flight got delayed like what two three hours from when it was supposed to take off
3: yeah yeah and then you know you couple that with like getting to the car travel home I mean I, I didn't get home till like four o'clock and then at that point I was so like ramped up like I didn't fall asleep till like, 5 in the morning. Like, I was supposed to go into work the next day. I, was, I like, hit up my boss. I'm like, yeah, that's not going to be a no for me. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah I, I, I was ahead. I already had taken Monday off. I knew that regardless of what time I got in, there was no way I was going to be want to work the next day.
3: And then I went in today, but I might, as not, I might as well not have because I, like, I was there in physical form. But <laughs> mentally, I was completely
2: checked out. Oh, man. Yeah, man, we've got a lot of fun stuff to talk about, about our trip and resurgence. Uh, Also, for you listeners, you know...
3: I'm uh, not pulling any punches either. I'm going to tell you guys the unadulterated
2: (laughs) truth. (laughs) Uh, But real quick, for you listeners, by the time you're hearing this, it's probably going to be Wednesday, and it's my birthday, 32 years old. So...
3: Oh, my gosh. Happy birthday to the boss of the Social Suplex (laughs) Podcast Network... One half of the ace of podcasts, keeping a strong style. Jeremy Donovan, he is all elite wrestling.
2: <laughs> so yeah, so the 18th is my shoot birthday. I know some of you probably saw my sign and uh, face on Dynamite a couple weeks ago. That was a early uh, kayfabe birthday from my girlfriend. Uh, so the 18th, shoot birthday, 32. Show some love, uh... Drop us some ratings, some reviews A donation if you can And yeah, appreciate you guys
3: Yeah, send me some money In honor of Jeremy Donovan's birthday Uh, (laughs) (laughs) My Uh, PayPal is Joshua (laughs) underscore Smith (laughs) Underscore One zero one
1: (laughs) In in the
2: four message Put for Jeremy's birthday Josh will definitely make sure to get it to me
3: Uh, I want to talk more about your birthday, but while while you're on the subject, so today I got a letter in the mail that's, that was from like this agency where they try to uh, collect money not, – not collect money from me, collect money for me. Oh. Appar- uh, yeah, apparently when you some, – like sometimes you might work – you know, I've had like a million jobs and I've moved a million times. Yeah. Well, sometimes when a company owes you money and they can't locate you, they can't track you down or find you. They'll hold on to the money for like three to five years, and then after a certain period of time, they relinquish it, and instead of looking for you, they just send it to the state. And then either you claim that or it reverts to ownership of the state. And uh, I got this letter, and they're like, oh, we'll help you get this money back that's owed to you. And like, I, it was from a, a business I used to work for it. It was, bro, it's a lot of money. And I was like, what in the world? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, for only 16% of the profits, we will do everything for you. I was like, no, 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 no. And then I went and I, uh, I looked it up. I found like the state of Florida website and I looked it up, bro. I had three checks.
1: That wow. Were owed.
3: <laughs> yeah. Three commission checks for when I worked at Ashley furniture so I got like $450 coming my way, like out of nowhere. So
2: Nice. Hit the pay window.
3: Yeah. Um, I, I'm not going to be able to use any of that on your birthday, but. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, bro. <laughs> Are you, uh, no, but in all seriousness, any plans with the family the girlfriend you know this weekend SummerSlam weekend what are we doing
2: yeah summer slam weekend you threw an offer out i think i'm down to watch my my brother's also getting married on saturday but it's saturday morning all the festivities i think should be done by saturday night so i, I would be down to uh watch SummerSlam with the guys
3: nice well maybe maybe we'll need to uh Get a Publix cake. We'll get the kind I like, but it'll say <laughs> "Happy Birthday" to you. We'll,
2: we'll get the cake you like. We'll get the beer you like. The uh, that the coffee gimmick, the uh, cream and sugar. Yeah,
3: we'll get the cream and sugar. Coffee. Actually, I actually like
2: that beer, but uh, yeah, we'll bro, get,
3: it's incredible. It's incredible beer. We'll, we'll
2: get you some of those dark stout, fancy gimmick beers you like. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a theme birthday for you, but for it's me. it's gonna be a
3: Tanahashi and Ishii theme birthday party. <laughs>
2: Happy birthday, Jeremy. Oh, man. But, man, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. Before we jump into Resurgence, I think we got to talk about Strong real quick. So, technically, that Strong happened before Resurgence, and there were some storyline things that played into Resurgence. So, uh, this was Road to Summer Struggle. Strong episode 53 opened up with Barrett Brown coming out with Bateman and Mysterioso. So, Uh, somehow, uh, randomly, I know Mysterioso and Jordan Clearwater have been having issues, but out of nowhere, Mysterioso just is now full heel in the all-black looking like a demonic Flamita, and he is now with uh, Barrett Brown and Bateman, and they helped uh, Barrett Brown defeat Best Friends Wheeler, Utah, 7 in 29 seconds. Then the second match we had... And and
3: it's funny that you say Best Friends, because... Oh, you mean Best Friends, because he's part of the the stable Best best Friends. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I thought that was like a... uh... You Like, you accidentally said that, and I was like, oh, funny enough. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, then second match, we had the uh, young gun, the Bullet Club, Hikaleo. He defeats the savage weight, Freddie A. High, 9 minutes, 31 seconds. Then uh, post-match, uh, Hikaleo, you know, asking for competition, and Juice Robinson comes out, answers the call uh, to, you know, tells the matchmakers to make the match, and then we find out that this match uh, got booked for Resurgence. So, last minute addition to the card.
3: Yeah, Hikaleo was like, I I've run through everybody. I want a challenge. And Juice was like, I want to wrestle on the card and get paid. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that works out perfectly for me.
2: Yeah. Uh, Then the main event, we had Carl Fredericks and the man of the hour, Leo Rush, defeat the team, filthy team of Danny Limelight and filthy Tom Lawler, 12 minutes, 18 seconds. A fun, fast-paced main event here. Leo Rush hits the Rush Hour on Danny Limelight to get the win here, pick up some momentum, and then it was announced on New Japan social media that Leo Rush would be challenging Filthy Tom Waller for the strong title at Monday's Fighting Spirit Unleash Strong TV tapings.
3: And they drew that sold-out crowd on a one-day notice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank uh, Leo Rush for the house. Yeah, thank you, Leo. <laughs> um, and then a bit of news that we got as we were in California getting ready for Resurgence. Uh, Brody King Was pulled from the Resurgence card Uh, They said due to unforeseen Circumstances Brody King will be unable To compete at Resurgence We apologize to fans we are looking forward to seeing King Russell And appreciate your understanding So Brody not at Resurgence Not at the strong TV tapings He was replaced by Adrian Quest and then uh, Jordan Clearwater Filled in for Adrian Quest in the Pre-show dark match
3: You know um he, like you mentioned, he said in his social media that he's okay. So we don't know the circumstances surrounding it, what it is. I've I've heard some people speculate, say it was some sort of political, like issue, um, not like not like politics, like but like rule like of honor, possibly. I don't know. Mm. And then others who speculated possibly it's health related or personal. We don't really know one way or the other. I, obviously, I would have liked to have seen Birdie King compete, but I will say this: I thought it was a pleasant. Um, replacement with Adrian Quest because, you know, Young Fuego is a guy who has been grinding for strong. And if we weren't able to see Brody King, I'm glad that, th- that the replacement was, you know, Adrian Quest. And he, we'll talk about that match, but he got a chance to shine there. Uh, again, still would have loved to see Brody King, but, uh, you know, I thought they did the best they could provided the circumstances.
2: Yeah. So we got some questions here that we should uh, talk about before we go into the match-by-match match review. So first from a friend of the show, Dan Coffin, he says, How did you like the venue for Resurgence? I thought it came across pretty nice on screen.
3: Yeah, I've heard some, um, some complaints about uh, the, the layout of the show, the fact that they had the hard camera kind of pointed at the archways, and very few fans can fit inside that little area between the archways, so it kind of made the crowd seem minuscule. Um, I don't know. I watched a few matches and they kind of shuffle between different, you know, different angles. And I think you see a good portion of the crowd, but I, I would agree that the layout might not be optimal for showing how- just how many people are actually there. That's something that like AEW and like WWE are really good at is recon- even ring of honor, sometimes reconfiguring a crowd to make it look like there's more people there than there actually is. And, and in this case, they sold out the full configuration, and they didn't maximize that, you know?
2: Right. Um, definitely could have done. I, I did rewatch the whole show on New Japan World. Um, I thought the venue looked great on camera. I love the shots where they had the torch, and they were like, span down to the archway. That was cool. Um, you know, really just a cool, you know, outdoor venue. Um, but like, I agree. Like, as far as you know, showing the audience, I mean, you know, over two thousand people there didn't do the best. There there's some wide shots where you can kind of see. Um, there's a lot of people there, but for the most part, you know, the action, how New Japan shoots, focus on the ring, so you really didn't see that that full capacity throughout throughout the show.
3: As far as the light, like the actual, let's be very clear what the LA torch is. I think we, maybe me and Jeremy had some confusion leading into the show. We knew it was like a venue space that was outside of the LA Coliseum, but like what it basically is just so everyone is very, very aware. It's literally just the the outside, like lobby area outside of the LA Coliseum. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's not like something that is configured with the stage setup that's always there and like permanent seating. It's nothing like that. It's probably on game day, just the empty space that you walk out to to go to concessions and go to the bathroom. Literally. Yeah. Um, which I, I do got to say this, I was listening to observer and I heard Dave Meltzer complain about them. New Japan calling this a sellout because he was like, they could have done 10,000 seats in that venue, you know, up to, Set, you know, so they're them calling it a sellout. You know, is is not real. Let me be be very clear here. This is not a place that has ten thousand seats where eight thousand needed to be tarped off and the other two were sold out. This is literally a lobby, an empty lobby that is just space.
2: <laughs> yeah, like an outdoor like courtyard kind of gimmick.
3: It's it's a courtyard. That's not a lobby. It's a. I kept saying lobby. Yeah, it's it's the courtyard. It's just the outdoor courtyard. So like, yeah, they they put. X amount of chairs out there and then sold those off. That's a sellout. I, I would agree with him if, like, for instance, hypothetically, you know, there was 10,000 seats and they had to tarp off a big section, but this is not an actual venue. It literally is just a courtyard. That'd be like complaining that someone was in a field and sold out 500 seats and be like, yeah, but that field is vast. They could have <laughs> put 20,000 seats in that field. That's not a. The logic doesn't hold up. I don't think maybe he's even aware that right. it's not really a real venue. Um, but as far as the looks of it with the lighting and yes. then I thought it was really cool how they had those two little ban- uh, posts and they put the New Japan, the red and blue banner.
2: Yeah, that's dumb. I thought
3: that they made it look like way more than it actually was because when you walked up to it, it didn't look that inspiring. Yeah, I mean it was cool but it was like, man, this is it. And then the lights came down and the –
1: the torch the gets flex
3: set. and the torch
2: set up, and it was awesome. Yeah, I will say I like this better than the G One Dallas setup, as far as like aesthetics.
3: Yeah, as far as aesthetics, I mean, keep in mind too, we've never been to an outdoor New Japan show before in the states, well, anywhere. So there, that it also had that kind of going for it. Yeah.
2: So our next question here from our user Germanis, he says, "I watch Resurgence on NJPW World. I'll tell you what, production values were superb." i couldn't no, hear subpar the, subpar <laughs> uh, i normally, that. <laughs>
3: wouldn't, normally i wouldn't correct you but those are completely different meanings <laughs> yeah
2: Mis- misread that there subpar uh couldn't hear the crowd much uh since you were there who did the crowd pop big for any surprises for you two on crowd reaction either more over or less over than you would have thought
3: that's a really great question i'll, I'll tell you this much um I didn't watch the whole show. I've seen one match, and I would agree. I thought that they did not do a very good job miking the crowd. It, it is difficult, though, in an outdoor setting um, where the sound just kind of goes up. And the way that they configured us, everyone was ground level. Uh, there wasn't any bad seats, so it's not like you couldn't see, you know. So, but at the same time, there wasn't like uh, you know bleachers where people kind of go up. So everything ground level. So it was really kind of hard to pick up on the sound. I'll say this from the section that we sat in, that's probably a good thing because I think we were sort of under the impression that this was going to be like most of the other new Japan shows we've been to in the past, like a fly in crowd. Yeah. Especially since they sold out so many tickets, like right away, I was like, Oh, there's a lot of people that want to come into town to experience the first big show. Well, it turns out like, no, the flying crowd was like me Chris Hamsa, Jeremy.
2: Karen and Karen. <laughs> Karen and Karen. Like, that was it. Like,
3: <laughs> like almost every there was, everybody there was local. And the section that we were sat in, thank you, New Japan, for accommodating us and credentialing us, but the section that we sat in was, we were surrounded by, like, your hardcore, like, North American typical wrestling fans. It was all local SoCal people. So they're, like, WWE chants, AEW chants. Impact, impact chants. Chance. All sorts uh, of... It was a bizarre World. Like, this was, like, no New Japan U.S. crowd I've ever been a part of. Right, and
2: you had that mix also for a mix of Bullet Club fans, like, diehard right. Bullet Club fans that just, you know, love the Bullet Club and nothing else about New Japan.
3: One thing I noticed, um, there, the contingency of more diehard New Japan fans, like, what I'd call probably, like, more prolific, you know, standard watchers— those tended to be the people in the first sections around the ring that were more expensive. They're willing to spend that money. And the fans that were more problematic with the negative chance and the kind of negative energy tended to be those that spent less money that were in the back. Right. Did you notice that? Yeah. You. Um, and we are kind of sat in between those two crowds. So like we could kind of hear both of them simultaneously. But uh, what I, what really surprised me is how, most guys that are that you would consider your typical New Japan stars or everyday like strong guys did not tend to garner much reaction initially on upon their like you know coming out and everything like that. Um, some of them got more over as the match can, you know went on, but anybody that was either a former WWE guy, uh, a current AEW star, or an Impact guy. Those guys tended to just get the biggest, most positive reactions of the night.
2: Yeah, obviously John Moxley got a huge reaction. Uh, there was there was some chance for Fred Rosser. Leo Rush got a huge uh, reaction.
3: Uh, Wheeler Yuta yeah. got a really big reaction, bigger than anyone else in the match that he was with. Which like
2: that AEW pop.
3: Yeah, and you consider the guys that he wrestled with. Most of them on strong are booked higher on the card than him. So. I was a little surprised by that. Um, yeah, uh, the Good Brothers, real, really, yeah, really good, big. Good
2: Brothers, monstrous uh, pop for them. Uh, Jay White, surprisingly super over. And I mean, if you think well, about it.
3: That, that one's not super surprising, but you know, you're probably going to make the same point I'm about to say. So.
2: Yeah, the, the, also the Jay White-Dave Finley match was the first match announced. Majority of the tickets sold on that match. So, you know, I know Jay always you know says that he sold out uh, Madison Square Garden, but... You know, he essentially you could say he sold this show out because for the majority of the time when tickets were on sale, the J.Y. Finley match was the match that was, you know, the featured main event. But he came out huge reaction uh, from the, you know, the bull club contingent and people loved him. And he came out like two sweeting everybody like he was, you know, big like baby face coming back home.
3: Yeah, it's not quite the same thing, but it was almost like, you know, Bret Hart in Calgary, you know, at the Canadian Stampede. Like I was like, we're in bizarro world like. The fans just lost their minds for him, and
2: yeah. um, and Moose, I,
3: Moose was really, really, really over. And I watched that match. And you can't really hear it through the audio, um, but you know, there's nothing wrong with those guys being over and getting good reactions. That wasn't really my complaint. My complaint was the negative uh, type of just crowd chants. You know, a lot of rusev days every single time um what's aiden Uh, english's new name matt morris every time matt morris showed up on the screen just rusev day like all over the place and i'm like guys like that that, it's been so many years and that guy's name's not even rusev and he's in a totally different company and like i'm pretty sure aiden english is not playing that character like you know um right he's doing a whole
2: drama king gimmick now
3: i don't know what he's doing because i haven't seen him yet but like a lot of Adam Cole baby all night Adam Cole baby, baby chants which like I was like he's, dude what what is going on
2: Yeah when uh, Moxley was wrestling there was a small chance of let's go Ambrose like, Yeah and, and that was
3: funny too because we there was a Hideo Itami chance at the G1 in Dallas uh, from a very small group of people and like the crowd shut them down you know but here this was a pretty like casual New Japan audience, um, uh, Archer Super Over Archer yes, yeah. was as over or more over than Tanahashi was. Um, when uh, when Jay White won his match, like a large portion of the crowd just walked out of the show and didn't stay for the main event. That's another like key indicator of like the overness of Jay White, but also that like those fans might just be Bullet Club fans,
2: right? exactly it was weird
3: i've never thought of like of that sort of thing you know uh what were some other really bad chance uh, uh during the archer match there was like tramp stamp chance
2: yeah for archer yeah and then um during the filthy team filthy uh 10 man there was like daisy dukes and booty shorts Chance. booty shorts or uh tom waller
3: yeah just a lot of like uh there's aew chance
2: yeah, Which, there were people in the crowd who did, didn't understand who Yamura was and who Shibata was and the whole, like, dojo thing.
3: Or who, like, Ishii was. Or, like, uh, when during the main event, Tanahashi gets ready to play air guitar and, like, bunch of people, like, a bunch of people from the crowd just completely just stormed off mad. They were angry. I was blown by that. Like... You compare that to like the G1 in Dallas, that moment when him and Okada (laughs) are standing and the entire crowd is just going apeshit and like it's so incredible. And then, um, (laughs) and then this moment where like Tanhashi's gonna play the air guitar and like people are so mad that Lance Archer from AEW didn't keep his (laughs) belt. Right. Oh, Yuji Nagata got no pop.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I listen, back on, when I watched it back, I mean, there was some pop. Again, like, we were on, like, that that kind of weird side of the crowd. The right side of the crowd opposite us seemed to be...
3: Th- that might be part of it, too.
2: More of, like, the, like, more of a diehard New Japan kind of base on that right side, but...
3: Well, I thought about that, but also, we don't really know because it was hard to hear what was going on on that side of the audience yeah. well, too, so...
2: But, silly, yeah, if you would have thought, you know, a surprise, Yuji Nagata would have got a bigger pop than he did get.
3: Yeah, and I heard some people complain about it. I'm like, guys, it could have been so much worse, you know? I I was glad it was Nagata and not Sammy Callahan.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so was I. So, yeah, I I was happy about that. Um,
3: I was I was legit getting mad at the crowd. Like, uh, my girlfriend was listening to some of Jeremy's stories, and she, like, heard my voice where I was like, these people fucking suck. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, that's mean. I was like, you have no idea how disrespectful this crowd literally i was like at least i didn't go for anybody i didn't come for anybody's head like right oh man yeah yeah so yeah that was our experience like i would say this was the by far the worst new japan audience that i've been a part of um but i think there's some positives to it i think this was a chance to expose a lot of people who aren't as familiar with the product to it you know, yeah. Even if they're not as educated on the product, so that's a good thing.
2: Um, and uh, David Finley, that man got booed out oh, the building. Oh,
3: That was bad. I've never seen. I've never been as embarrassed for someone as a performer to see that kind of, you know, negative reception for them. Uh, it. I mean, it what It didn't come across as much on. Um, the broadcast, but like, I don't know the, the one thing I can think of is like That time when John Cena got like When he had to wrestle RVD <laughs>
2: Yeah, one night stand, but, yeah
3: <laughs> Yeah, but at least that crowd like was hostile You know, and he was getting heat Like with Dave Finlay, it was almost apathy Like, not only did he get booed, but there was a lot of times Where he just got no reaction
2: Yeah, I, I would say a majority, it was like no reaction Like he came out, his music played Like no reaction Then White gets this monstrous reaction And then during the match, like everything was just for Jay
3: yes yeah very much so so yeah it was very in, it was different very 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 different from what we were probably expecting and kind of used to plus we'll talk about it, but there's a lot of weird stuff that went on during that show <laughs> yeah <laughs> with the venue
2: yeah we had fireworks going off we had there was like a concert happening uh like inside the coliseum i,
3: I thought it was a band practice or a band or, something. or a, a private party or something yeah we don't know
2: yeah it was weird uh, next question here from Sir Sam. He said, who got the biggest pop? Was there anything that happened that didn't get filmed? And is fried chicken for breakfast a normal thing in America? Because if that is, that is incredible.
3: <laughs> He's asking because, what, he saw that we went to uh Roscoe's, and waffles?
2: yeah, and got a chicken and waffles uh, Saturday <laughs> morning with uh, Karen and Karen.
3: That's funny. Um, I don't think there was anything that happened that didn't get filmed that I'm aware of. Um,
2: I only, think, only the dark match, the pre-show dark match.
3: Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, for me, easily the biggest pop of the night was Jay White.
2: Yeah, hands down, Jay White biggest pop. And
3: and may like probably Tanahashi and Archer were like close seconds. I think Archer might be number two.
2: Yeah, I think it just to be it's yeah it's I would say like kind of Archer Tanahashi like a two A two B kind of thing, but Archer did get like a monstrous reaction.
3: Um. There wasn't anything that happened that didn't get filmed aside from the dark stuff. Um, As far as chicken and waffles, like in America, I don't think fried chicken is like something. (laughs) I don't think it's something that like generally speaking, it's considered an everyday staple of the standard American breakfast. However, chicken and waffles was one of those things like it's it's a southern cooking sort of thing. And I do remember hearing about it growing up and, like, never having had it. But then at some point, it just kind of caught on. And in most diners and most, like, trendy, like, gastropubs and, like, restaurants, you can get chicken and waffles for breakfast in most places now.
2: Yeah, it's almost like – I feel like at one point it was kind of like a – kind of a rarity. Like, oh, you have to go seek out, like, a place that has chicken and waffles – yeah. And now it's pretty much like most breakfast places, like I said, most diners, like it's, like it's kind of like a normal thing now. Like it's not a rare kind of weird thing. Like, oh, I have to try. I mean, it's amazing. But now it's like you can pretty much get it anywhere around here. That's
3: a, yeah. And so we went and we had Roscoe's and it was good. And, but it has this really legendary reputation. I think part of it too is like when you go there, it's an experience. There's certain particular type of attitude and ambiance to that place. But, like, I've had chicken and waffles so many times in my life now at so many different places where, like, I could easily say that that was not the best chicken and waffles I've ever had. Yeah, it was so, very so, good. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's good. You know, maybe, uh, you know, 3.75 maybe. Yeah, uh, it was like
3: a, a good little chicken and waffles, 3.75. Um, but for the price, I mean, I don't know. We split a plate, but it was like $24. Like, I would never pay $24 for chicken and waffles in florida for anywhere, anywhere yeah
2: <laughs> no matter how that good was it was nuts yeah
3: and I've, I've had much better chicken and waffles lots of places so that was a little surprising
2: yeah uh and last question here before we jump into the match by match review from muzza he says besides resurgence what was your favorite thing you did in la
3: probably uh f- we'll probably have the same Answer, we got to hang out with Chris Samsa in real life, which we've never done before, and Chris is really cool guy, and um, the Friday night we got in, we went to a recommended Korean barbecue place in Koreatown called Park's Barbecue, and guys, we had an epic meal. Like, it was incredible.
2: It was amazing, um, it was so good. Like you said at, at dinner, you, we felt like we were in an anime. Like they brought all these bowls. There was all this meat. Uh, they're cooking the meat in front of us. And, man, it was just good stuff.
3: Yeah, it was really – we could we could talk more about it. if, But, yeah, if you go there uh, to L.A., Parks Barbecue, one of the best meals I've ever had. I've had uh, Korean barbecue in South Korea before, and this was as good or better probably. Like So, yeah, I was blown away.
2: Yeah, it was amazing. Like you mentioned, you know, hanging out with Chris that night, getting dinner there and, you know, chatting it up. That was awesome. And then uh, another great part of that, you know, post-dinner, we're like, you know, still kind of early. What, what do we want to do? I'm like, man, let's, let's go to the dojo. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Samson's was like, how far away is it? I'm like, you know, it's like 25 minutes. He's like, let's do it. So we, uh, we hop in with Samson. We head down to the L.A. dojo.
1: <laughs> we found
3: a really good brewery, too. What was that place called? Indian Angel, River? Angel City. Angel City Brewery, that place was uh, – it was adjacent or in uh, Little Tokyo. Little Tokyo, if you – that's a part of LA oh, yeah. that's really cool.
2: Especially and, uh, if you're a big uh, anime or video game fan, a lot of cool stuff there.
3: That stuff too, but they also had like great bakeries and desserts and, you know, tea houses and bookstores. There was incredible like laser discs and um, – LPs and albums. It was, it was a really cool place.
2: Yeah. Also, I have to give a shout out to uh, Esteban of the unofficial New Japan uh, North American Fan Club. He also had several meetups throughout the weekend. We went to uh, lunch with one of the meetups for Fogo de Chao, uh, covered by the fan club. Esteban pours a lot of time and effort into the fan club. And so, got some uh, uh, nice little lunch there.
3: Yep. So let's move on and uh, talk about the actual show.
2: Yep. so Resurgence, like we mentioned, kicked off. We had a a pre-show dark match. We had that new unit of Barrett Brown, Mysterioso, and Bateman. They defeated Jordan Clarewater, Kevin Knight, and the DKC. Nine minutes and 32 seconds. Uh, I didn't get to see... All this match because I was in line getting some merch But uh, (laughs) when when I got back You know it was your kind of typical standard opener Thought all the guys looked good And uh, you know moved things along
3: Yeah I thought it was a good six man tag I don't have much to add there I'm very impressed with Bateman and Mysterio So Jordan Clearwater got a haircut So that's good Um, (laughs) And you know Kevin Kevin Knight and DKC are doing their thing You know very promising young line So good dark match opener
2: so then the main card opens up with the next match in the Alex Coughlin Challenge Match Series as Carl Fredericks defeats Alex Coglin 10 minutes and 48 seconds.
3: Yeah, this was really, really great. And I, this would probably be, for me, like my sleeper pick for underrated match of the night. Um, I haven't heard too much from anybody talking about just how impressive this match was. But... Um, these these guys, LA Dojo guys, when they go toe to toe, they really really go at it. And, and like Coughlin was striking the crap out of Carl yeah, Fredericks.
2: They were both hitting pretty hard.
3: But- they were hitting so hard. But these guys, you know, they they've trained together extensively, so they just the timing, the pace, the energy—it's all on point. Um, this reminded me a lot of the singles match that we got between Carl Fredericks and Clark Connors just before Clark went, uh, you know, kind of graduated from the dojo, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah. And this was kind of on that same level. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a very strong opener. Um, you know, if there was anyone in the crowd that wasn't as familiar with these guys, which it did seem to some extent like the crowd wasn't as familiar, but I think that this is one of those matches that started off with little reception, but by the end of it, they really had. Gained the crowd and got him behind them. So this was a perfect choice for the opener. And it kind of continues Coughlin's progression. And, you know, Carl Fredericks beat him with the Manifest Destiny. And, like, I th- I thought this match ruled.
2: Yeah, I love this match. It was a great way to kick off the show. Like you mentioned, you know, there weren't really many, like, Fredericks or Coughlin chants. People were kind of unfamiliar. Like, the non-New Japan fan base was unfamiliar. But, yeah, by the end of the match, they had the people... Hard-hitting. I mean, there was a, a lariat that uh, Coglin did to Fredericks, which just...
3: Oh, yeah. You just saw the mist go up.
2: <laughs> yeah, the mist of sweat, and that was awesome. Yeah, very hard-hitting. A lot of great counters. But like you mentioned, uh, the Alpha Wolf hits the Manifest Destiny, gets a win there, shows some respect to uh, Coglin post-match. Uh, then we move into the second match where we had... The Wild Rhino, Clark Connors, Ren Narita, and TJP defeating the team of Mr. No Days Off, Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero, and Wheeler, Utah, 11 minutes and 19 seconds.
3: Yeah, I was a little surprised here. This was a match that I definitely anticipated Rosser and Rocky Romero winning just because of the fact that they've sort of kind of, I don't know, like have this new budding like... uh friendship and partnership, it seemed like, on Strong. I don't know if that's going to be the case going forward. Right.
2: And also, you know, as far as reactions, I thought Rocky got a pretty good reaction.
3: Rocky did get one of the biggest reactions. And you know what? If you think about it, with him appearing on so many different shows in recent memory, plus, you know, it's kind of understood who he is in the annals of New Japan as well as, you know, his... uh, you know his role with Strong, and then also the notoriety that he gets from, you know, boozing with the boys and talking shop and talking shop mania. I think a lot of that goes kind of into that as well.
2: Right. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, we mentioned that diehard Bullet Club fan base, a lot of big Good Brother fans. So yeah, Rocky definitely probably receives a lot of you know, but bo- it's know, mind. Pop that. It's
3: it's mind-boggling, bro. They <laughs> love
2: the Good Brothers. Yeah. No, a, lot, a lot of sour boy chants for. um Luke or for uh, Carl Anderson, so yeah, definitely there. Yeah, in- I
3: didn't even know what the fuck they were
2: talking <laughs> about. There's <were> so
3: many <laughs> sour boy chances. Like, what? <laughs> Who's that?
2: Uh, but this was a, a very good match here, too. I'll see a lot of the focus on Red Narita and Fred Rosser. These guys have been feuding for a couple of weeks on Strong now, so you know, a lot of you know, intensity. You know, man, Fred Rosser, I know we kind of joke about him sometimes, but this guy. He continues to improve, get better. Very hard hitting, very Bro, snug, fired he up. He was
3: so snug on that night. Yeah, like crazy. Also surprised at the outcome because of the fact that Clark Connors and TJP have sort of always had a little bit of animosity and miscommunication in their match as well. And I think we thought that kind of story would continue to play out here and. It didn't really play that way. There, There's going to be events that we'll talk about later in the night that sort of make sense as to why this team picked up the victory here. Right. But I, w- I was a little surprised uh, to see the, you know, this LA Dojo team win.
2: Right. I mean, and, on, on the other side, you have a, a former WWE guy. You have Rocky, and then you have the AEW guy.
3: Yeah, but on the other side, you got a former WWE guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, TJP doesn't do the dab anymore. I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's he's
2: left that in the past.
3: Oh, back in 2015.
1: Yeah. Nice.
3: <laughs> um. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I still want to see this Narita Fred Rosser match, but we didn't get as many interactions between them in this, you know, limited 11 minute match as I would have liked. But uh, it's still after the match they were still going at it. There's still heat there, so that looks to be like something that's probably going to be on the tapings
2: yeah so then we move on to the next matchup big Ten man tag we have the team of adrian quest chris dickinson freddie a High, leo rush and yuya mora defeating the team filthy team of danny limelight Jarrell nelson jr kratos royce isaacs and the strong champion filthy tom waller 13 minutes and one second
3: yeah 13 minutes uh this match was really good um there was a lot of guys here that the crowd was unfamiliar with, and a lot of um, just high octane, high paced action. By the end of it, it seemed like the crowd again had gotten to know and recognize who a lot of these guys were. Um, Tom Lawler was getting those, you know, booty shorts and Daisy Duke's chance, like we mentioned. And this guy's such a pro; he like turned that moment into a moment where he started strutting around, <laughs> yeah. and then. And then they turn it into a group, like a group pose, often like
2: Ginyu like, gin Force pose. Yeah,
3: like yeah, like a <laughs> Ginyu Force pose. They they completely broke that chant and got the crowd to, to like just get heat on them. And like he, he, this is a guy that like really understands the psychology of working a crowd. I think a lot more than most other like U.S. based wrestlers, you know.
2: Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Like he mentioned. You know, Leo Rush is probably the most over person in this match, and Leo looked great in this match. A lot of great spots. Uh, Wait,
3: wait a second. Leo Rush is over? (laughs) It's almost as if I've been saying for a little while that he's, like, one of the most well-recognized names on the strong roster. That's crazy that (laughs) the live audience knows who Leo Rush is and is super behind him.
2: Yeah, Oh, man, that's crazy. There's some people we talk to who don't realize what big of a star uh, Leo Rush is. But it's Eddie. almost
3: like it's almost like the challenge isn't the biggest show in America,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, Leo was awesome here. Ton, you know, he's just super quick. A lot of great spots. Um, good spot where uh, JR Kratos like did a. Well, uh, Adrian Quest did a acai Moon Salt to the outside. It Was pretty dope.
3: I loved that he got that moment to sort of shine because he wasn't even supposed to be in this match. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, he was going all out. He was doing a lot. You know, did a Tornado. He did a lot of cool spots. Uh, then Jarek also said a he press slam. Who did he press slam into the into the uh, to the outside?
3: I don't remember. I just remember there was a moment where he teased like he was gonna uh, go to the top rope and dive on the crowd, and that didn't end up happening. He ended up getting power bombed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he did. He pressed somebody. I don't know who it was. I was really impressed. There was a point. What one thing I love that he does is like he does. He gets in the half guard on guys. And does, like, the the short elbows and then the big knees, and, like, he he works, like, a ground-and-pound, like, MMA sort of style, which is, like, you don't see other people do that, and I think that's kind of dope. Dickinson was awesome in this match.
2: Yeah, Dickinson was super fired up. Um, Him and uh, Filthy Tom had some great exchanges in their match.
3: Yeah, their chain wrestling was good. Uh, the strikes were really good. It was very reminiscent of the strong title match that they had earlier this year. We try to get a dirty daddy chant going, but like this crowd in particular, I don't think is as familiar with Chris, uh, which is not great. But also with him, he's just he's a guy that mag like, you know, uh, exudes the fact that he's a star. And so I think as more people get to see him. And become aware of him, like, the, the more he's going
2: to get over. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I mean, he,
3: he looked like a star out of all these guys. I felt like he had, like, the most, like, star appeal, you know?
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, it was Leo Rush was, was who he pressed into the... That's right. Uh, I was a
3: little surprised by that, too, considering that Leo's, like, you know, about to challenge for the title. Uh, they definitely made him look good in this match, but to, to see, uh, you know... Jared Credo kind of muscling like that. I was like,
2: dang. Yeah. Especially somebody coming off a shoulder injury. who's already kind of leery about continuing to wrestle kind of a yep. little dangerous spot there, but took it and he's fine. Uh, Dane limelight always looks great. He had a lot of cool spots, little cool, high flying stuff. Uh, funny
3: spots too. <laughs> yeah.
2: He's like, when he
3: started, when, when the crowd was when the ring was empty, he started doing the salsa, salsa dancing.
2: Dance. Dude, I gotta give that man a problem. That man can like salsa dance to anything. No music. He, he salsa <laughs> dances to like filthy Tom's music. He, any kind of music, this man could find a way to salsa dance to it. Uh, but it came down to him um, and Yuya Mora, the two legal men. Um, he was getting ready to hit his double springboard cutter on Yuya Leo Rush came in, pushed you out the way. He hit the um, Rush Hour on Dane Limelight. And then Yu Mora hits that over, uh, double overhook, belly-to-belly suplex, gets the bridge, one, two, three. yu picks up his first win on excursion here in the u.s
3: here's the thing is like we kind of know the story with with you yeah you and that move it's sort of like if he can keep both arms trapped and he can get the bridge he can beat anybody with it that's kind of been the story but like he never really does and i feel like there have been a time or two where we've seen him actually hit it on a big star and they still kicked out like in super juniors and stuff like that so when he hit it even though I know he's on excursion, he's still a lion on excursion. I was kind of anticipating them to kick out, and when he got the one, two, three, dude, we lost our minds.
2: Yes, dude, (laughs) me, young boy, and Chris Samson, we were hopping around like you had just won the IWGP World Heavyweight title. We were so psyched, so pumped up for this man. You know, we've been watching this man from the start, and to see him come here to the U.S., look great, and get this big moment, get a chance to shine, you know that they're building Leo Rush and Filthy Tom. So I thought, you know, Leo Rush is either going to pin somebody or pin Lawler or something like that to, you know, help build momentum for that match. But no, they, they went with Umora here.
3: Or even like Lawler screwing, you know, the other team and getting a win somehow and building heat and animosity. But yeah, this was really, really, really cool. It was funny. There was a guy behind us. I, I hate to call him out, but there's a guy <laughs> behind us who had no clue what was going on. He was there with... Maybe his daughter, maybe his like sugar baby. I don't know what the deal was. It was kind of ambiguous, but uh,
2: we won't judge.
3: Man-
1: <laughs> we won't judge.
3: But uh, this man was older, is all I'm saying. And He was talking about Big John Stud and Ox Baker, <laughs> <laughs> and he had no clue what was going on. And um, he kept calling ev- any kind of pin that wasn't your standard like cradle. He was calling them small packages, man. And he was like. You, yeah, your morgue, hits him with the bridge, and he's like, "Oh, freaking small package! You gotta be kidding!" Me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, never man. mind
3: that, like, never mind that a small package is a, like a perfectly like fine way to like win a title. Like I've seen plenty of world titles to right. off
2: small we packages. We just saw that man, uh, you know, Daniel Bryan's ROH run when he was the, the master of a small package.
3: You mean Bryan Danielson, sir?
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna take me a while to to get that straight again. <laughs>
3: But uh, it was funny because, like, he had no clue what was going on and we're freaking out. So after the match is over, Yuya Mora gets the mic and he's like, I'm Yuya Mora. I've come to the U.S. to get stronger and I will get stronger. And then, like, Shibata comes out. The crowd loses their mind. Everyone's chanting, holy shit. And he grabs the mic and he says, come with me. Hands off that L.A. Dojo shirt. And, like, it's a really special moment. This guy behind us is like, I don't know what's going on. That guy in the black tights that I thought was boring. Everyone seems to really like him. He got the win. I don't know. I guess it's a big deal or something. Some guy that looks like his dad came out and handed him a shirt. I don't know what's going on. Can can someone explain to me (laughs) why, why this matters? And I thought for like a half second, maybe I would try to engage. But I was just like, how do I explain who Shibata is, what the L.A. Dojo is, what a lion is? What is happening? Like, you know, I was like, I just can't. I yeah, can't it, explain it, to yeah, you. Yeah, you,
2: you would have spent the rest of the show explaining all, what was <laughs> happening.
3: <laughs>
2: and I just thought, nah, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going <laughs> to
3: enjoy the show that, you know, that I'm here to cover and not spend, spend my time trying to educate you. you there's Google. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, but, yeah, great, great post-match moment, moment there. Very surprised. Shibata showing up, you know, officially, you know, welcoming in Yamora into the L.A. dojo to get stronger. We got a question here from Hawaiian Punch BB. He says, Yumora, a future main eventer? He got the pinball in his first excursion match over an established veterans and joined Shibata's boy squad after.
3: Yeah. Uh, I mean, what's the question?
2: He's asking if Yumora is a future main eventer.
3: No, that's rhetorical. That's not a question. We all know <laughs> that that man is a future main eventer. This man's getting the Okada treatment. You know what I mean? Like, big, big send-off. On his way out, you know, against the, the ace of the company. Big, big win in a big match on a big show in his first excursion match in the U.S. Uh, obviously, yes. they really, really care about this guy and, and another, have big plans for him.
2: Another big sign, not giving away results here, but on the strong tapings, he is in a six-man with Tanahashi and Nagata as his partners. Oh, wow. So Jeremy,
3: you're, you're privy to what happened on the tapings.
2: I am. Our, oh. our pal Chris Samsa tweeted out a uh, non-spoiler-free list of the matches.
3: Oh, gotcha. Well, I won't go into all that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, teaming with the Ace, teaming with Nagata, you know, teaming with two former IWGP champions, you know, clearly there, there's some big things in the future for this guy.
3: Totally agree. Um, MJ Does PR said, please put some respect on Chris Dickinson's 1993 Boss Rootin' aesthetic, which – you know what? Now that he says it, maybe that's one of the big reasons – I mean obviously I'm really into Chris Dickinson, but maybe that's part of it Like because I'm such a big Boss Rootin' fan. <laughs> maybe that's why I like Chris <laughs> Dickinson so much. Um.
2: He,
3: he also said, what's behind you, Maura, joining the LA Dojo? A strong – the prep school for stars? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, what seems like, you know, all the dojos that are coming to excursion in L.A., I mean, you you have to train somewhere, so you you go to the L.A. dojo, and we saw, you know, Narita, he came over, and he's at the dojo, and obviously we already have, like, the L.A. dojo guys, and, you know, Gabriel Kidd, Clark Connors, Carl Fredericks, uh, DKC, Kevin Knight, we've seen all these guys come up for the dojo, and I think, yeah, Shibata's doing an excellent job, you know, training these guys and getting these, you know, making these guys, you know, ready to be, you know, New Japan stars, and so... I think- and,
3: and and you know what else too? Uh, on that night, there was like five or six guys that were fulfilling the role of like young lions. And in the past, when they've done U.S. shows, they've they've had guys like Brody King and uh, other other like SoCal-based guys that are like kind of known now. Got a lot of them that are like on strong. That you don't think of as like LA dojo guys, quote unquote, but clearly have trained in that dojo. Um, but this time they didn't have anything like that. They had like nameless, gigantic, big, strong, athletic-looking dudes behind, you know, behind masks that were fulfilling the role of like young lions. It could be that those are just extras, just guys that are indie talents in the local area that just came and you know are helping out. But I've got the feeling based on the builds of those guys. The, mus- the muscular frames and everything, those guys are probably training in that dojo already and just haven't graduated to quote-unquote lion debut status.
2: Right. Yeah, we don't know who's training in the L.A. dojo. I mean, there could be, yeah, nine guys there too, and that those, some of those guys at ringside are, are probably some of those guys.
3: Yeah. Um, so very interesting. Um, fifth match of the night, Juice Robinson defeats the giant Hikaleo. Bullet Club, nine minutes.
2: Yeah, that's probably the, the worst match of the card. Um, Juice did get a good reaction. Hikaleo got a great reaction, obviously, being part of the Bullet Club, and I'm sure that uh, AEW TV time against Lance Archer and those, those two matches on Dark probably helped as well.
3: Um, bro, bro, that's that's one thing, you know, I you got to speak for, you know. People can say what they want about the Forbidden Door and everything like that, but, like, dude hearing the kind of Hickaleo got a
2: huge, huge reaction. Yeah.
3: Reaction. And I know it wasn't because of strong. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems to me that sending those guys to major cable television, like AEW has a huge impact on how they're perceived amongst wrestling fans.
2: Yeah. So yeah, definitely got that kind of star appeal there. And yeah, this was, uh, you know, fine. This match. is the weakest match. Of the yeah. Night. Weak match. Weak match. It was fine. Uh, it,
3: it started bad, it got good at the end, is what I would say.
2: Yeah, there was one point there where like Juice slipped off he was trying to get on the turnbuckle, do a, a top rope move and slip was slipping Hekeleo, great kinda kinda of veteran move, you know, ran out of the ropes and like crotched him on it.
3: Yeah, good improvisation. Um the finish of this match though was Juice Robinson. Yeah, he was supposed to uh counter something into like a roll, up. roll, yeah. But they messed it up and he still got the roll up. But, like, you know, and that kind of fits Juice's whole, you know, aesthetic. He's said many times, like, I'll roll you up, brother.
2: <laughs> yeah, Hikaleo's so, going for that the Samoan driver. Yeah. supposed to roll but, him from there.
3: So, you know, he picked, Juice picks up the win here. I thought Hikaleo looked pretty good, but uh, the match was, you know, it was just a nine minute, you know, sort of like they didn't have an intermission, but if there was one, this was the nine minute intermission <laughs> match.
2: Yeah and a post match Hikaleo laid Juice out so we might see this feud uh, continue on
3: uh yeah because obviously Juice picked up a roll up victory keeping Hikaleo sort of looking strong actually as-
2: I-, I do know this is continuing on they 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 will face off at the uh, the strong tapings
3: Jeremy, why are you telling everybody what's going to be on the Strong tapings? Hey,
2: I'm not saying... I'm not spoiling any results. I'm just saying matches... I mean, it, you got to figure, based off this finish, that this match is going to have There's going to be a rematch.
3: Oh, my God. Are we the news-breaking
2: account now? <laughs> so I'm just saying. These guys are going to have a match <laughs> on Strong uh, in the future.
3: After that, we had one of the most anticipated matches of the night, the Stone Pit Bull Tomohiro Ishii uh, defeating Moose 16 minutes and 7 seconds. And this match was... Maybe the match of the night, but, arc, you know, definitely a really well-received and great match.
2: Yeah, I love this match. Um, I mean, is a man, and this was, you know, your typical Ishii versus a bigger guy formula, where, obviously, you know, Ishii, the way he wrestles, you would think he's the same size as Moose, but, obviously, you know, he's still selling it, and, you know, he's fighting to get the brain buster, and there's certain power moves he's really fighting towards towards the beginning, and then he really has to fire up to... 'll take the offense to moose, but these guys laid the strikes in uh moose super impressive of a lot of the athleticism that he had and the spots he was doing that you know that uh cross body off the top that he did his uh pump kicks are great his drop kicks uh there was a spot where you know he did, he did the alqaeda drop kick where Ishi was sitting on the the top rope and he jumped up hit a drop kick and followed up with this uh choke bomb that was awesome there was a lot
3: that um Moose did in this match, that was very impressive. There's one moment where he jumped up to the top rope, springboarded onto the other side of the top rope, and turned around and did a crossbody, which is like just for a guy his size is so insane. I've seen him high fly a lot, but I've never seen him do that particular move. Uh keep in mind I'm not the biggest like I'm not as familiar with all of Moose's body work. Most of what I've seen from him, honestly, is from his ROH days, more so than anything else.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
3: haven't seen as much of the impact work as other people have, but man, he looked like bro, he's always been impressive physically, but I've always thought seen him as kind of like a bruiserish, kind of puffy looking like, you know, I've always thought of his body type is very similar to like Rusev or Michael Elgin, guys of that kind of ilk. But he's really gotten himself into a different kind of shape now, and he's so cut up, man. Like he looked like like Lex Luger almost. <laughs> like he's he's an Adonis, bro.
2: Yeah, man. That man was shredded. That man looks like he's a world champion. And then
3: um, all his drop kicks. There's he drop kicked Ishii when Ishii was sat on the top rope, and he kicked above his head, like at, like it was. That's that kind of vertical is really crazy.
2: Yeah. just Yeah, Mooks is super impressive here. Uh, very hard-hitting. Obviously, a lot of great, um, you know, forearm exchanges here. Ishii, you know, best Bumble selling uh, out there.
3: Oh, and, you know, the ba- the basic gist of the story was um, it's one that Ishii has done, especially on the road against larger opponents. So very similar to, like, the Chris Hero or the Walter or the, uh, or the uh, Keith Lee matches in Rev pro. But, you know, he's got a bigger guy and he's trying to take the bigger guy off of his feet. And then the whole match, he's trying to get the brain buster and he just can't get it. Can't get it. And then at the very, very end, it's one of the most protective finishers in wrestling finally does hit it and puts Moose away. And all the while Moose is throwing everything, you know, even the kitchen sink at Ishii and Ishii is not going away. And so it was kind of like this. The, the match is basically the story of the little engine that can and does.
2: <laughs> right, and of course, i also fill it in with some, you know, great little like no selling fighting spirit spots. You know, Ishii kicking out at one, Moose kicking out at zero. <laughs> um,
3: <laughs> oh yeah, there was a guy behind us who. Oh just bro. Lo- bro, yeah, he this, loved this
2: man. This. Was going so freaking hard for Moose, man. It was so. And
3: no- normally, I wouldn't like someone who's going this hard for anybody because it was. Borderline obnoxious, but this guy was so funny.
2: Yeah, he, he was like, funny for the most yeah, for the most of the night. But yeah, he was going. He was so,
3: really funny.
2: He was going but, so hard for Moose. I was so happy when Ishii dropped Moose on his head with that brainbuster in one.
3: <laughs> when uh, when Ishi kicked out at one, I was like one count, one count, and then I just kind of left it. And then Moose kicked out at zero, and this guy's like, no count, <laughs> no count. <laughs> Oh. And then, like, and then when Ishii won, I turned around and we just high fived because he was like, "Ah, damn it! Like my dude lost. Yeah. He's going so hard for him.
2: Uh, yeah, but uh, awesome, Matt. <laughs> and it was funny the whole time. He's like, "They don't know. They don't know about you, Moose. <laughs> you, my poor Moose. Let them know. Let them know who Let you him... are. <laughs> Let them know."
0: Oh,
3: <laughs> that was so man. funny! Yo, I messed with that kid. Um, him and his girlfriend. They're sitting there. Uh, before the show started, I'm just sitting down. And they're like, "I wonder who John Moxley's, you know, tag team partner is going to be." And I turn around, and I was like, "It's Orange Cassidy." And they're like, oh, "You you think so?" And I was like, "I know so. I saw him." And they're <laughs> like, <"Well>, "What?"
2: <laughs> and I
3: had to tell them, "No, I'm just playing, <laughs> working." <laughs> but Ichi picks up the win here, and then, um, you know, we thought we were going into our next match tonight, yeah, and, and then... suddenly.
2: We hear the music of one former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, the Kingpin, the Commonwealth Kingpin.
3: I, I didn't recognize it, because I'm used to, duh, 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 dun 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 dun
2: Like, I started playing, I heard the hearing, and I was like, wait a minute. like, that's Osprey music. I turn to you, I turn to Chris, I'm like, that's Osprey music. That's, and the video plays, the Titan Tron video plays, and next thing you know, Will Osprey comes walking down to the ring, black bag in his hand, um, dressed in the nines, full suit got chain, sunglasses on
3: yeah I remember when he first took on this Commonwealth Kingpin persona and I criticized the suit choices and the watch choices and how hokey they were this was a far cry from that this man looked like he should be like smuggling some coke out in like Miami this man (laughs) this man was dressed right for the role
2: yes Um, this this man was looking fresh
3: and he cut an awesome promo he worked the crap out of the crowd. He was going in on Kevin Kelly. Every, Not only was he cutting a great promo, which he doesn't usually do. Like, I don't think Will Ospreay is a very good promo, honestly. No. But on this night, he was on fire. And the other thing that was great about it was everything he said was true. And, you know, when you have a heel that, like, can work in, like, Elements of reality to like kind of like you, you hate him, but you also hate that he's right. That's 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 the other part of it, and like that was him all night that night,
2: yeah. So he came out, said that he's medically cleared. He's like, you No, know, there's, there's a big tournament coming up in Japan G1, G1. I will not be competing in the G1. And he talks about uh, New Japan tripping over the world title, he only needed four months to heal um and he does agree with having a fighting champion but you look at john moxley who was the, the champ for over the year didn't defend it and they didn't strip him of the title
3: and that's true and he was also like you know the rule with new japan is supposed to be six months and they didn't even give him the six months they just stripped him and then um you know you want to talk about monstrous pops too like he got a huge, yeah, he got a huge, huge ovation but then he turned around and like Said he doesn't give a crap about the fans Doesn't want to be in LA So like that that like Completely just turned
2: th- Everything into heat immediately Right and so, yeah he's not going back to Japan He's going to make New Japan strong His home um, He pulled out another IWGB World Heavyweight title Says he's the real world champion Chingo is a interim champion A fake champion And that he's willing to defend his title Not just in New Japan but at any of uh, any door that leaves the key under the mat,
3: he complained about you know New Japan and and um, Shingo proclaiming him as the real champion when his belt is a fake belt and all his friends fighting him for his belt. So he's like almost acting like it's a conspiracy that like <laughs> yeah. Shingo and. And all the guys he's fighting are his friends, and they've all, you know, conspired to get the belt off Will because they can't beat Will. Is basically what he's implying. And then he's like, you know, that the guy that's supposed to be champion, the guy I beat with a broken neck, and he called him a pussy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then Will and then um, Kevin Kelly's like, come on, and he's like, oh, shut up, Kevin.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, you know, thank God it's a real star here because if we had to rely on these, you know, weak LA dojo boys, this would be a horrible show. Uh, especially said fragile Carl Fredericks in particular, and he's just burying, you know, the LA Dodgers. Of-
3: little Clark Connors. Yeah.
2: Uh, and they
3: come, they come out, and he's like, "Look at these two bitches." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, and then uh, they have all the the young lions kind of in between them. He's like, "Get between us, because if those if they come through, I maul up them. You know, I'd take them out. You know, I don't want to break them." And right. he sounds like he almost sounds like like. Conor McGregor, the way he's talking, like, a little bit Like, I feel like he must be studying Conor McGregor, he to probably honest He you. probably
2: is, um, and then uh, Out of nowhere, TJP comes out and He's trying to hold, you know, keep the peace, hold back Fredericks and Connors, and he's like, look This man was a, the original LA JoJo He was trained by Antonio Inoki Now he's a babysitter for Shibata's boys
3: Yeah, and he talked about Shibata and said Shibata can't hold a candle to him, and he would Break Shibata, and um yeah, and then, you know, the, the dojo guy's getting there. They act like everything's going to cool off. And then as TJP's turning around, he attacks TJP with the belt, runs out of yeah, the he ring. Had, he
2: threw a water bottle at him.
3: Oh, that's right. Okay. He didn't attack him. He just threw water at him and then, and then ran out. Yeah. Jumped the barricade, ran out like a coward, talked all that shit, and then, you know, just got out of there. And it was quite a moment. And, I mean, just the news. The news that, like... Not only is he cleared, but he's staying in America. And not only is he staying in America, but he's got his own version of the IWGP title that is here now. And maybe it's a non-recognized IWGP title, non-sanctioned. Maybe it is. Maybe it's the real belt. Like, we don't know what the deal is. But, uh, you know, the, we've heard some, some reports of weak ticket sales in Philadelphia and Texas. And I got to imagine if hypothetically – Will Osprey on those shows. It's going to do nothing but elevate ticket sales. Plus, um, when people started to chant other names from AEW, he was like, "He's like, we don't want to hear about you know those weak bitches." He's like, yeah. "He's like, if they came here, what are they going to do? Nothing. I'll break them." <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, he shut that down real quick. Uh, yeah. We did have some questions about this uh promo here. First one Rambo and slam pig. Would it have been would if would it have hit better for you if Osprey revealed the old version of the IWGP title on Saturday?
3: No, not at all. Not even a little bit. Because while yes, we like that design better, that's not the belt that will Will Ospreay never ever held that belt. He never even fought for that belt. So he has no connection to it in any sense. So no. I much prefer the Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon, we both Got the exact same belt,
2: who's the real Champion, <laughs> exactly, and then I'm sure, you know, you could have Osprey, You know, quote unquote, do World title matches in America, as Shingo is doing world title matches in Japan And then it's gotta come to a head
3: Yeah, and that's cool and all, but it's gonna be confusing For someone like me that really cares about Like, title defense records, and and numbers And <laughs> <of> lineages <laughs>
2: um, Like, what, what,
3: what, what does This mean, <laughs>
2: Uh, His other question says, G1 is going to be missing a lot of the foreign star power this fall if things stay as is. Do you think there will be any Japanese free agents or lone talent to fill out the blocks, a change of format, or some juniors and young lines filling out the field?
3: I think it's possible that all those things could happen. Um, Also, recently, Tanahashi, during his Q&A, was asked about could the forbidden door open between Japanese talent, and he said something cool is in the works. And we don't know what that means, but like hypothetically, maybe someone from one of these, you know, other companies or freelancers could get involved. You know, another thing too, again, we don't, we're not the experts on the situation with the passports and everything, but you know, we talked about all these releases that happened with WWE recently. A, A lot of these foreign talents aren't going back because they're unhappy with you know, the quarantining and staying in the dojo and all that. But what if, like, you're – like, let's say if you're Jonah Rock and you're trying to get work with New Japan and you want to make a mark and there's an open opportunity to maybe get, um, you know, the visa situation fixed in time, maybe you could see someone like that show up. I don't know.
2: Right, and especially because, you know, guys like Jonah Rock who are already – are here in the states are having you know they have to get a new visa because their WWE is the one that provides them visa so uh, you know trying to get in with new japan that that could be a way to you know get another visa and be able to either work us or get across for g one
3: yeah so i mean yes i think there are some open doors there's also the possibility that like we don't see too ma- too many outside seats filled like they do have enough heavyweights in japan. To potentially fill the G one, but you know, pretty soon those uh, announcements should be made. They're forthcoming, so we'll wait to see. But you know, I'd love to see like a Hiromu Takahashi in there, or you know, someone from the you know from another company that that would be so cool. You
2: know, yeah, Hiromu would be cool. I mean, everybody was you know dying for him to be in it last year. Um, a guy like Great Okan, I think it's kind of it's probably a lock for his first G one. Um, what the year Kojima's having? I think he could, he could be a G one guy. Yuji Nagata. I know he already you know technically had his last G one, but the way that he's been going this year as well, um, and the way that they've been rely, relying on him too. I mean, he's a guy that they could slide in there. Kojima. Yeah, I said Kojima.
3: Yeah. Um, Hawaiian Punch BV asked us, how likely is it that there will be another double gold dash in Wrestle Kingdom, especially with Osprey holding the real title? Maybe. Naito wins the G1 and challenges Shingo, while Okada or Ibushi challenge Osprey. New Japan can book Naito versus Osprey for night two, sell a bunch of tickets for the Tokyo Dome if it's still not under renovation. And, you know, that he brings up a lot of good points. Uh, there, there are speculations that the Tokyo Dome will be under renovation, and also there might be potential issues with just um, the business side of booking the G1 at that time of the year this year and all the restrictions. There is a speculation that possibly we don't, we haven't heard this from anybody, but this is just kind of the wild. This is the speculation that's out there right now from a lot of people. They might not be able to do the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom this year.
2: Yeah. And we talked about that a little bit last week. We had a question about that. Um, so it's going to be very interesting to see where Wrestle Kingdom does end up if it's not going to be the Tokyo Dome. But this whole double gold dash, I think. You know, this is something we talked about with Chris and I've been seeing it all online. You know, as long as there's gonna be two dome shows, it seems like the game plan has to be double gold dash, and so this, you know, whole real world champ, interim champ situation sets up the perfect scenario for there to be a reason to be another double gold dash situation where you have the you know, the unification match on one night and then the G one winner facing the unified champion on the other night.
3: Well, you know, this isn't unlike what happened when Brock Lesnar took the IWGP title hostage and then the IGF kind of held that up as their world title. They called that the IWGP third belt. And when he relinquished it to Kurt Angle, who was with TNA at the time and was doing business with New Japan, he came back to New Japan as the champion. And they ended up doing a Tokyo Dome where Shinsuke Nakamura, who was the IWGP champion, defended his belt. And then Kurt Angle defended his IWGP version title against Yuji Nagata, which then led to another Tokyo Dome match between Nakamura and Angle to unify those titles. So there is some precedent for this sort of thing already. My my thinking about it is this. um, If there had never been a double gold dash, quote unquote, in the past two years, I think that this would be awesome. Yeah. You know, in fact, I actually think that compared to the builds of the last two, this might end up being the strongest
2: build. And the one that makes the most sense.
3: And the one that makes the most logical booking sense, but it has that tainted, you know, sort of like, oh, they've done this the last two years and there was a lot of issues with the booking. So, and now we're going to the well one more time. You know, there's kind of that feeling. But maybe it will still turn out good because ultimately this does make a lot of sense. And. Honestly, the scenario throughout you throughout here, Hawaiian Punch, um, as soon as I saw that Osprey wasn't going to be in the G1, I, I told Chris and um, Jeremy, and I don't usually say something like this so early in advance, but I think Naito's winning the G1. I've thought it for a while, and this solidifies it for me.
2: Yeah, and I, mean, I, I was already also feeling Naito, I just feel like Naito versus Shingo is a money match to do at the Dome.
3: Agreed. And then. Yeah, I think that the scenario plays out almost exactly how you said. I think that for me, Okada and um, Osprey makes the most sense in the dome again—a rematch in the dome—and
1: mm-hmm.
3: then you have the winners of those matches the next night fight each other to unify the belt.
2: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. You you get you know Osprey to get his his win back on Okada in the dome. You do an awesome Shingo uh, versus Naito matchup. That people, you know, interfaction matchup, and then you do the final kind of big matchup between Osprey and Shingo. You know, a big stage for their their rivalry at the, at the dome.
3: Uh, and I don't want to jump too far ahead. I think we're we're kind of booking the territory. Here, but uh, <laughs>
1: yeah.
3: let's say Osprey wins and Shingo wins, and you wind up with Naito and Okada. It's having them go up against each other again in that consolation match actually makes more sense than any of the other constellation matches because because of their history in the dome and everything like that and maybe you even have some prior build maybe in the G1 between the two of them that might be like the final dome like solidifying match between those two and that would be a big deal even though you know that'd be like the one constellation match where people would be like okay I still really want to see it especially in Japan yeah it'd be a, it'd be a huge deal
2: yeah, that would be a big deal. And then just be a, uh, another fire card. Your main eventing a Shingle Osprey and a semi-main of Okada Naito. Like, yeah. Huge. Yeah, that, that sounds awesome.
3: Um, so, yeah, I think that that's kind of what we – and you know what? Maybe none of this happens, but, like, I don't know, man. We're giving – Gato, if you're listening, <laughs> someone from the office, we are giving you guys some – fire right now our, like,
2: our new uh, our new buddy uh, Junko from the uh, new <laughs> Japan offices <laughs>
3: um so Oscar Rooney asked with so many westerners not participating in the G1 in Japan how uh, how about having one in America do we want to go down that route cuz i have got thoughts on it
2: yeah let's go i mean we've had a lot of people asking us about this you know some of the group chats were in a lot of people talking about oh you know an American block or a a separate G1, you know, America version. So yeah, go for it. Okay. I'll
3: say this. I think possibly, and this is a a pretty big possibility, possibly. um, Maybe there might have been a point where you could have maybe done a portion of the G1 in America and done bigger business. That is possible, but it's not 2017 anymore. It's 2021. And if anything, this show that we just attended, even though it sold out, proved to me more than anything that New Japan right now is not a hot product in the States. And this is evidenced by the lack of ticket sales on these other subsequent shows. We've also had previous shows for the past two years in America that kind of show show the same thing. Now, I do think that the partnerships they're working on with these other outside companies is helping, and I think that probably helped them sell the tickets that they just did at this show. But let's be very clear from the business side of things. The G1 Climax is the biggest tour that they do all year. They make the most amount of money for their whole fiscal year during that time and then during Dome season. Um, and I could – right now, let's just be very clear. There's no way that they could do an A block – in japan and a b block in america and then have a finals in like japan that would be fiscal suicide so there's only two ways i could i mean let's just take that off the table there's no way that that would draw you know what i mean it just it wouldn't they would not do big business right we, Right.
2: we saw what happened with just one night in the g1 here in the u.s
3: right they made money and they probably got a good deal on that place through the access tv and the mark cuban uh contact but like it was not what what they expected you know
2: right
3: So, so let's take that off the table let me let me throw two two possibilities that are possible to you um one is you break the tournament up into four blocks like i've talked about in the past and you either have a five or six man block here in the states and then you do the other three in japan and then you take a pr- and then with that you have to have a five or six man block so you're talking about four to five nights maybe six nights of G1 action in the states that i think is feasible but then again you have to stack it you know we're talking big stars and then you have to really run the risk that it's going to draw well here in the states and run the right markets at the right time in consecutive fashion and you know America is not really that kind of like, you know, they talk about burning out the territory. There's not too many places where you can be in close proximity and run five, six shows like that, you know, and, and draw well and do big business. Whereas if you had that, that those same five or six shows in Japan, they're guar- even with the limited restrictions, because it's the G1, you are guaranteed they're going to sell out. They're going to do business because it is the G1. Um, maybe it could be worth it. If, with the restrictions, even with the sellout, the money might be less than per, the, per, the possibility of running bigger open shows in America, even if they didn't sell out, maybe that trade off is worth it. But I'm going to guess no. Uh, there, there, there just seems to be too many moving pieces with four blocks, two continents. Like, that just seems like a mess. Uh, plus, think about like all the production issues they've had in, in America in the past. I don't think so. Um, The other option is you do your regular G1 in Japan and then you do a mini G1 in America and maybe you just run that as part of the strong tapings or you do it on strong, right? And at that point, you're adding on to the G1. You're not detracting from it. But then again, you're – at the end of it, what would the natural progression be? You'd probably need to have the American G1 champion fight the the proper G1 champion – and then the American champion's probably going to lose, right? Right. Unless it's, unless it's like Will Osprey, And something. you
2: would have to put it on somebody that can get into Japan because we still are having issues getting people visas.
3: Right. And, I mean, if, if it made monetary sense to do that, great. But I would feel, I don't know, maybe kind of – they haven't done too many round robins in America with the New Japan of USA product yet. So I'd probably be cool with it. But I also feel like if it's – Anything like a lot of the tournaments they've done on Strong, where it's like 10 minute matches, you know, three at a time, you know, I don't know. I just don't know how I'd feel about that. Like, it doesn't, that wouldn't feel like the G1 to me. The G1 are 30 minute time limit matches that are epic, that are, you know, these great, boisterous nights. That just, unless they were doing the full Access TV level production or like what they just did with Resurgence, like full five to six, you know, nights of g1 in the u.s i just don't think it's worth it the bottom line is i went through that to say this it just doesn't really make a lot of monetary sense to me to try to do a, U, uh, a g1 in the u.s unless the product got hot enough to warrant them doing that you know right
2: and i think you know we're, we're going to talk about a lot of the announcements they made as far as shows coming in the future and I feel like if you're going to do a G1 in America or a mini G1 that they would have announced it at Resurgence and one of these upcoming shows would have been called, you know, G1 Climax USA. I think they would have capitalized on that.
3: Can I tell you one scenario that I just thought of that might make it worth it? Yeah. AEW and maybe someone like Impact or Ring of Honor partners with them. Mm. But then, then again... I'm not talking about, you know, having like, who's like a a mid name that like is pretty, pretty big. Like, I'm not talking about having Frankie Kazarian on it.
2: Right. It needs to be like Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, Ken- Moxley. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cause it's the G1. And then it would need to be like Bandito, um, yep. Jonathan Gresham, uh, if no. you can
3: get big if you can get bigger worthwhile stars from those companies who are proven draws to partner up with New Japan guys in a quote unquote G1 in America, you'd probably do big business. But then again, what's the deal with the G1? You gotta take losses. And especially in a smaller format, with like, let's say, if it was just five or six guys, you're talking about less matches, more more quick losses. I don't see Tony Khan being cool with. Darby Allen going in and eating two or three pinfalls. You know what I mean? Right. And
2: then once again, you still have to try and find a way to get the winner into Japan.
3: Right. So yeah, I just want to, and we've probably spent too much time on that, but the, the whole reason I, I do that is just because we get so many questions about this. And I think people really need to think about the economics of it.
2: Yeah. Uh, next question here from Muzzle. He says, how did Osprey, how was Osprey able to make it to the U S yet shooter could not?
3: that's a really really (laughs) great question and in fact you know me and jeremy were talking with a lot of people this weekend we started thinking a lot about it and we were like you know what there really isn't a travel restriction from the uk to the u.s right now i just like you know i know the delta variant is like blowing up and i'm not as connected to the news as everybody else so when they're like yeah due to travel restrictions can't make it and i was like oh that makes sense but then like Wait a second. What's Ilya Dragunov doing in WWE?
2: <laughs> What's Walter doing here? What's Walter
3: doing here? <laughs> What's Will Ospreay doing here? And then any other number of guys that live in the UK, they're just coming, going. Pack. Yeah. Yeah. How did Pack make it to Dynamite? And then I'm like, oh, wait. Maybe they're lying to us. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. and, and, you and, you know, we've been hearing some not great reports on Shota Umino's latest appearances. I've heard reports of him being out of shape and just not having great matches in the last a couple matches he had.
3: Yes, we did hear that. And, um, you know, if, if those reports are true that he's out of shape and not ring ready and sort of, you know, if that stuff is true, then maybe they didn't think he was ready for a show of this caliber right now, which you combine that with the fact that that other guys are able to get in and out of the country perfectly fine. I think there's smoke to that fire.
2: Right, and I know some people are pointing to, oh, well, he's booked this Saturday to face Ricky Knight Jr. Well, guess who else is booked for Saturday? Will Ospreay. He's going to go face Doug Williams. (laughs)
3: Uh, Mazza asked, "With Osprey, this might be the first time Mazza's asked like good questions. <laughs> <laughs> With Osprey bringing out his own IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, will this lead to another double gold dash uh, of sorts for Wrestle Kingdom? And we're thinking, survey says yes. Ding, 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 yes.
2: Then Dom Homie one hundred and one. Any thoughts on the potential of who's the real IWGP World Heavyweight storyline? How the story play out? Which I think we kind of pretty much touched. Latter on Ladder match." <laughs> ladder match
3: at Wrestle Kingdom You know they they probably could
2: Dude Shingo and Osprey would have an awesome ladder Shingo
3: match Shingo and Osprey in a ladder match In the main event of Wrestle Kingdom yeah. I know that's like not like a purist sort of thing But like they would probably Tear the house down in a ladder
2: match Yeah Uh Yeah just thinking about that
3: man. You have two <laughs> belts Anytime you got <laughs> two belts
2: You gotta like- do a ladder match Yeah <laughs> <laughs> well uh, let's move um, we on with the rest of this card here. So uh seventh match of the night we had the good brothers, Doc Gowles and Carl Anderson defeating John Moxley and his mystery partner, which ended up being Blue Justice Eugene Nagata. Ten minutes and thirty three seconds. Um so unfortunately for these guys, there happened to be random fireworks going off in the background during their match. So, you know, people are, you know, chanting about the fireworks, not paying attention to the match and
3: it was like a full-on production. Now, here's the weird thing. So when we pulled up to the building that night, I definitely heard a marching band playing. Like, and I was like, is there like a band practice? You know, is it football season? I don't, you know, I don't watch shoot sports. I don't know what's going on. So then once the show started, we heard a concert. There was definitely rap, there was definitely singers. And then it looked like up in one of those like sky boxes, there was lights and stuff um, kind of like going. And I was like, it looks like they're having a party up there. Yeah. But there was no lights on the field. And there was definitely, there definitely wasn't anyone on the field anymore, you know? So there, but um, that sky box was like, just so it makes sense, if you're the hard camera. To the left of the way the hard is facing, up in the ble- up in the skybox, that's where some sort of party or something was going yeah, on. Yeah,
2: they were getting lit over there. <laughs> they were
3: getting lit. I mean, dude, they were like, there was one point where I heard like, get down on it. Dun- <laughs> and I was like, I was like, five point three, I was like, yeah. <laughs> but then um in the middle of like their set, like the fireworks went off and that was to the right of the hard cam. And I mean they were like full on, like poof. Poof, poof, and it went on and on. It was like on. WrestleMania
2: like, level, like
3: yeah, yeah, like AEW's never had pyro this. <laughs> <again.
2: laughs> Tony Khan probably wish he had this for the exploding uh, barbed bar wire match.
3: Yeah, bro, it was incredible. <laughs> and um, shout out to you know the Good Brothers. I don't g- usually give them that much props, but like one uh, whoever it was, I think it was uh, Carl Anderson. He's like, I'm gonna lock on this headlock and you know just wait this shit out. Like, yeah. <laughs> but like, it was really hard to pay attention to what was going on. The funny thing was like Mox when it was happening, Mox like started playing into it and like started looking over like, what the heck is going on over there?
2: <laughs> yeah. And then a shout out to Osprey. Osprey took advantage too and took a picture in front of the of the fireworks too.
3: Yeah, yeah Osprey pretended like the fireworks were going off due to his return to New <laughs> Japan Pro Wrestling, like it was for him yeah. specifically, <laughs> uh, which no. was really funny. Um, yeah, and then like the but the concert kept going on. Like there was one point like towards the end of the show where like you heard the people up in the stand, and she's like, "All right, well this could be the last song of our set," and I was like. Oh my god like <laughs> yeah. how did how did nobody coordinate this?
2: Yeah. Uh, but you know what with that and it being a good brother it's like this was just a match like
3: the, the the whole thing was every I don't think everyone thought the match was going to be good. I think the big the big question was who is going to be UG, or uh, Moxley's partner and that was the intrigue. I will say this from an insidery New Japan fan sort of perspective Blue Justice makes the most sense, yeah. Because Moxley, uh, if it wasn't shooter, that is, Moxley really has had no partners or teammates or friendships in New Japan thus far. And the one guy that he's feuded with, where at the end of it there was a huge level of respect paid, was the match with uh, Yuji Nagata on Dynamite. And after that, like the fact that they would team together, kind of does actually make a kayfabe it. In kayfabe makes sense. Um, I would also say this. Eugene us the one guy who was on this show that's shown up on Dynamite that didn't seem to get that translation of popularity brought over. Um, and I really thought with him being the surprise guy and having shown up on Dynamite that there'd be a better reception. But it also might be a case of failed expectations because people had – Different ideas in their mind. They thought it was gonna be damn Brian's Brian Danielson or <laughs>
2: yeah. There there were people who did, who missed the the Umino news. Thought it was going to be Shooter. Uh, yeah, people thought it was going to be Sammy Callahan was one of the big names that was fancied about. I mean, there were so many names that were, were getting thrown around that weekend. That yeah, some people could be disappointed that it wasn't whoever they were expecting.
3: The one thing is like it was pretty clear the Good Brothers were gonna win this one. We, I think we speculated last week that that was the most likely outcome. So, like, whoever it is that you wanted to come out, they were probably going to eat a pinfall to the Good Brothers. So, you know, my whole thing is, like, it could have been much worse, you know. Yeah. As much as I as much as much I thought it was going to be Sammy Callahan, I don't like Sammy Callahan. So, you know, it could have been a worse outcome. I was glad to get Yuji Nagata as the surprise guy on the show. You know, it kind of gave it more of a New Japan flavor. But then again, I'm biased because we're a New Japan-based <laughs> you know fan podcast right
2: yeah I, I, I love that it was nagata but you know overall as far as a match it, it was it was fine um towards the... probably
3: would have been better but there were so many outside things going on that it attracted
2: right um so towards the end of the match moxley pulled out a chair ends up backfiring him on him they hit the magic killer to mox on the chair then two one on nagata in the ring they hit the magic killer on him Good Brothers get the win, but the real big talking point comes post-match. You know, Good Brothers are doing their their post-match promo and celebrating. And then, with no music out of nowhere, the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga Tangaloa, come strutting down to the ring, and we have a face-off between G.O.D. and the Good Brothers.
3: Yeah, and this was um, something that has been speculated for a while now. People have been wondering, where is G.O.D.? People have been wondering what's gonna be the outcome of this, you know, supposed feud between Carl Anderson and Tama Tonga. And, you know, even before they started like playing, you know, games with one another on Twitter and the jawjacking and back and forth, we'd already kind of speculated about this, you know, last year when the reports were coming in that, you know, the Good Brothers were on their way to New Japan at some point once the pandemic sort of let up and how would that power dynamic play out? based on the fact that they're former Bullet Club, and there's a new dominant Bullet Club tag team. So we kind of knew this was eventually going to happen.
2: Yeah, and obviously it it was a great angle for this, you know, Bullet Club crowd here in California. They were eating this up and really loved this confrontation between these guys. Um, There was a lot of jaw-jacking. Anderson kind of told Gals we should back off. They bailed, and we didn't get any physical confrontation, but clearly... I was disappointed yeah crowd you know wanted of the fight wanted there to be some kind of you know brawl or whatever and got nothing and so it looks like at some point down the line we are going to get god versus good brothers
3: also first time that we've gotten both uh god themes on the same night because hikaleo comes out to the previous thing which i've always loved yeah and so i'm glad he's kind of brought that back but you know the thing is with this is like the Carl, like the Good Brothers, like Tama has his own sub, like, subsect of fans with Tama's Island and stuff, and his online following. And he's kind of like cultivated his own, like, working persona on the internet. And then so has the Good Brothers, you know, with Boozing with the Boys and, you know, Talk and Shop, Talk and Shop Mania, and all that. And so there is, like, a quote unquote bullet club, like, subset of fandom that I don't think we're, like, really a part of. And maybe unaware of like how deep that goes, and I think that this is almost like a U.S. sort of fan service feud for those types of fans as well, which is smart. It kind of plays into what they got going on, and then for the for the rest of us, there's still the general story of the history of the Bullet Club that plays into it all. You know?
2: Yeah. And uh, today, Tamatonga tweeted out the the firing squad T-shirt, saying, "Whose side are you on?" So you know, we're starting back up this you know Bullet Club Civil War. <laughs> that way you didn't get it really finished,
3: <laughs> and then and then there's another sub- subsect of fan that is like a wrestling purist and kind of considers both teams to be like shitty. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of people we're connected to that are like, is there anything that sounds more mid than a God
2: Good Brothers feud? <laughs> you know what? If these guys maybe had like a plunder match, yes, uh, on, on a pay per view, I think that could be pretty good.
3: In ROH, you
2: mean? Yeah, <laughs> if they have a if they have a plunder match
3: in Ring of Honor specifically,
2: yeah, you know,
3: or or if it's like anything goes match in AEW, then it'd probably be awesome. But I can't see in New Japan, it's probably gonna suck.
2: <laughs> I'm just saying if, if they do it on one of these California shows, no DQ, crowd will probably be into it, and it could probably be all right.
3: So the next match of the night, after all that Bullet Club turmoil, we bring in another Bullet Club guy, the leader of the Bullet Club, in fact, as we get the first of two double main events. The never open weight title match between Jay White, the champion, defending and defeating David Finley. And boy, oh boy, was this a unique crowd
2: experience. <laughs> yeah, so you had the great little VTR before the match explaining the history between these guys going back to the Nogate Dojo and showing you know, the record and showing, you know, Finley beating Jay in the New Japan Cup. Everything was at like this matchup. Then, you know, Dave Finley comes out first as a challenger. No reaction. Nobody cared that Dave Finley was there.
3: Yeah, I, I heard a lot of people say he got booed. And, like, he might have a little bit, but it was more just apathy. Like, the crowd right. just did at, not at care. First, yeah,
2: at first it did not care. Like, when he came out, it was, like, no crowd. Like, pretty much any, everybody else on the card got a better reaction coming out than of Finley did. And now,
3: I, I'll say this in defense of it all. Sometimes in sports, especially in combat sports, which, you know, I'm a big fan of – um. Think of like, for instance, Conor McGregor, you know, anytime someone fights Conor McGregor, like the crowd is like, especially in Vegas, which like might be his town or like, I remember the one time he had a fight in Ireland, you know, those are like hostile crowds that like are there to see their guy. And the guy that he's fighting is like the lamb sent to slaughter. And those guys come out there and like, it jitters them. It like gets to them. And like, I know we don't always see situations like that in pro wrestling, but this, like, reminded me more of, like, an MMA fight where a big giant star is fighting, you know, a prominent guy but someone that the crowd is not in favor of. And that's what this felt like.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, Jay White's music hits. Big pop. Big reaction. He comes out. And he just starts two-sweeting everybody. like, he, like two-sweeting. he never does that. He always pulls it away. and His jaw jacking I've at the crowd. I've never
3: seen him do that. This man was fired up he had his he had the fucking the, the, <laughs> the, the, the wolf pack logo and and he's just running through the crowd like too sweet this nerd. man has this man's never gotten this kind of reception in his whole career probably like that was i kind of felt like it was a cool moment but i was like what's going
2: on yeah you know like, big you know too sweet whoop whoop chance switchblade chance let's go oh, yeah. jay
3: all, yeah all night the two sweet whoop, whoop stuff i was like dude like marty scroll's not part of the bull club anymore like there haven't been two they don't even do too sweet in the book i guess they do the two
2: they the, do the underneath yeah Give the underneath
3: now. yeah 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 but i was like man you guys are from a different era <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah man and then the match ah, you know i can't really speak to the match like i haven't rewatched it in the moment it felt really dry and bland the, the crowd only popped any time Jay White did anything, and any time Dave Finley did stuff, they either booed or sat on their, like, hands. Like, it was weird.
2: Yeah, I mean, both guys were working extremely hard. I did rewatch watch this match, because I wanted to get a better feel for it, you know, watching it on TV versus being in the crowd. And these guys, they worked really hard. I mean, it was a kind of by-the-numbers, not, not as a bad thing, but, you know, this is the Jay White, Dave Finley kind of playbook, they had, did a lot of their signature spots, Um, A lot of callbacks to the previous matches And it was a really, they worked really hard A lot of cool spots, you know, Jay Did his signature, you know, Saito over the top Rope to to Finley Um, You know, his sleeper suplexes You know, kind of a lot of signature stuff And yeah, just for whatever reason You know, fans wasn't into Finley But I still thought it was a a good match But probably would have been better If the crowd was bought more into the story And more into Finley
3: Considering how great Dave Finley's run through the New Japan Cup was and how great his win over Jay White was in that cup, this was a little, this was disappointing. And you know what? Quite frankly, this is probably the wrong crowd to put this match in front of if your intention was to simultaneously get both guys over. Now, if your goal was what they did here was to elevate Jay, <laughs> <laughs> then this is the perfect place to do it. Now, uh, I want to talk about one thing before we uh, – we got a question from Dom Homie 101 He said, thoughts on the rumors of Dave Finley looking to take his talents to New York, a.k.a. McManville, a.k.a. the E, a.k.a. WWE. <laughs> yeah. Um, so basically for those of you that don't know, there was recent um, Wrestling Observer Live episodes where every day they were interviewing – various different individuals leading up to resurgence to try and plug the show. So they did like a, a short segment with Dave Finley short segment with Rocky Romero one day, Chris Dickinson, J.R. Crato. So they were kind of like just doing press for the show. And Dave Finley made some comments on that show that have been interpreted by some as maybe not a, just not even really pushing the importance of this show, but also talking about outside things. Like He talked about how like he really admires Kyle Riley, would like to work with him one day. People interpreted that as meaning he wants to go to NXT. He talked about how he would love to learn from Shawn Michaels.
2: And Triple H.
3: <laughs> Triple H. Um, talked about how he preferred the Western style to the Japanese style. And he didn't know what the future held for him. And a lot of people have interpreted all of that to mean going to NXT. Um, and maybe maybe that is his goal. You know, we talked about the Gaijin unrest this past year. And we right. talked
2: about and, and during that Gaijin arrest there was, you know, stories of day of Fit uh, Finley saying, yeah, you know, my son's unhappy. I'm I'm you know trying, you know, get him over to WWE kind of thing. So
3: his contract's not much longer. I believe it's coming up possibly. I could be wrong, but I think it's like January. And, you know, he was one of the guys that got COVID. And had to quarantine in the dojo and wasn't happy with how they handled the travel. With that, so was Jay White, and that's why he also declined to go back for the G1. So you know, a lot of people called those stories bullshit, but I think we're seeing evidence that those stories <laughs> right we're not we're not bullshit. Um, do I think this means means he's going to NXT? I don't really know, and I don't think I didn't think that when I heard it personally. Um, but after people pointed out those facts, I was like, hey, maybe maybe that is what he's sounding like. Maybe he knows he's kind of hit his ceiling in Japan. Um, but at the same time, he could just be a guy that was trying to stir the pot and draw interest to him and what he's doing. You well, know what I mean?
2: Right. It could have been him you know, negotiating his contract, contracts up. I'm going to say all this you know, stuff to throw out signals and the New Japan office can offer me a sweet deal.
3: I wouldn't put that past him either. But a lot of people took that to basically mean like, fuck this guy. He, he doesn't have, um, you know, devotion to New Japan, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of people have thus, thus in turn interpreted his reactions to the show as being caused by that interview. Let me just say this. Of course there probably were some fans that that, that affected, but that – crowd was not a ultra-smart Dave Meltzer-esque Observer Board newsletter-reading crowd who listens to Wrestling Observer Live on the Daily. No, 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 no. As we (laughs) talked about before, this was a crowd that bought this show for Jay White almost day one, way before those comments were ever made. I don't... if, If Dave Finley went out there and cut the most incredible presser promo that was endearing to New Japan and really hyped up the shit and like got him over to those listening, he would have still got the exact same response. This was a no-hoper situation. This guy was never going to get a positive response in that building that night. That was Jay White's crowd.
2: <laughs> yeah, and another thing, too, this this feud, I mean, it was hot in March. when yep, a long time ago. When Finley got the upset win over Jay and the Wrestle Grand Slam was originally going to happen in May. Like it, it was hot then. Then, now it's, it's August now. The feud's cooled off. Yeah, they did some stuff on Impact. The Impact before, you know, they've been feuding Finjuice and Beyblade, and, you know, Jay's been laying out Finley on Impact TV. But again, that's, you know, 125,000, 150,000 people watching Impact. How many of those people were at the show? probably not many so a lot of people really didn't see any of the somewhat build they try to do for this match
3: and and, you know speaking to that is like i'm i'm not against new japan having some angles that they run on impact you know um there's been a lot of talks when these different companies that are doing the cross-pollination angles it's like well who's this benefiting more who's this benefiting less and everything like that and i think in some cases they're trying to maybe not focus so much on that and basically work more on, like, um, synergy and working together. That being said, I don't think that that particular platform has been the most beneficial platform to build up this particular feud or angle um, based on the, the size of the viewing audience. Like, you mentioned, Jeremy, and, like, you know, I don't think Impact has, like, the strongest, like, youtube you know social media kind of presence there wasn't buzz for the match if anything there's buzz for jay white and about that's about it and that was kind of proven here and um yeah it's kind of unfortunate for dave finley like this he was sort of seeming like he was on the cusp of stardom with the new japan audience but that has not translated to the west
2: (laughs) not (laughs) at all like at all not at all
3: i felt bad bro and like you know what like I was trying to be like one of the guys that was like going for Dave Finley, but like I had to do it in sort of a facetious way sarcastic, because yeah. <laughs> I had to be sarcastic because like I could you couldn't be seriously be the guy that was like, "Let's go, Dave." Right. <laughs> "Come on, Finley." <laughs> yeah. Nobody cared. Like, bro, that crowd was hostile, dude.
2: Yeah, bro. Yeah, we they were loved we Day were White. Yeah, bro. That was Switchblade territory like And man. then
3: So Jay Jay gets the big win and, you know, they do the angle. So afterwards he cuts a promo, Tomohiro Ishii comes out, which makes sense because he picked up the big win over Moose earlier in the night and he's got a lot of history with Jay, especially in the the most, you know, this past calendar year. And, you know, Dave Finley talks about how he beat, you know, he already beat Ishii and Ishii has no business challenging him because, He's the only quadruple champion in history, and, you know, Ishii's never held any other title other than the Never Belt.
2: (laughs) Yeah, he's like, Ishii's never been the IWGP US champion. Ishii's never been the IC champion, right, Kevin Kelly? He's never never been the IC champion. (laughs) (laughs) He's definitely (laughs) never been the IWGP heavyweight champion.
3: Yeah, and, you know, that whole thing is funny because it's, like, kind of not taking into account the world title, but he can't talk about the world title because he's never won it yet himself, you know? Uh, it's going to be funny the day he wins it and talks about how he's the only guy to hold all five major titles. Yeah. I want someone to be like, you never held the NWF belt or the U-30 belt uh, or the great or the Greatest 18 Club
2: Championship. <laughs> I was saying, Billy Tommy to come out and be like, you ain't never hold this strong Open openweight title. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> but, you know, after all that happened, dude, like a lot of people, uh, not... Like, I'm now, I don't want to make it sound like a majority, but it was noticeable that a large portion of the crowd... Yeah,
2: Chris Sampson's whole row
3: left. His whole row. And, I mean, it was a full row. There was probably, like, 30, 40 chairs. The whole row got up and left. And um, it was mostly people in the back, though, which, again, like I mentioned, were kind of, like, seemed to be the more casual fans. They were the ones chanting the more obscene and kind of degrading and vulgar stuff. So, It kind of made sense, but uh, (laughs) very strange. And then that brings us to the main event, you know, um, the IWGP United States heavyweight title match defending champion Lance Archer taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi match went 19 minutes, 26 seconds. This was my my choice for match of the night, and I, I really enjoyed this match a lot.
2: Yeah, this match is awesome, was awesome. It's always great to see the ace in action live, um, you know, challenging here for the U.S. title. Kind of your kind of your typical pro wrestling story here, you have the big monster heel against the, the hero babyface, and, you know, Lance Archer, you know, he is kind of a tweener on AEW. He's been more babyface leaning lately. Like we mentioned, he got a great reaction, but I thought Lance did a great job of, you know, getting the crowd to boo him getting heat on Tanahashi. We mentioned that the whole, you know, tramp stamp, you know, uh chair chant he like shut that down and he was just being so monstrous to Tanahashi in this match and beating him down, using a lot of power moves and uh obviously Tanahashi an amazing seller um kind of fighting from underneath and it would, would fire up and I love this match. I watched the I rewatched the G 2019 match before the trip and uh this match was definitely uh better than the G one match and I mean, the G1 match was good, but it was a kind of a middle of the card match. It got like 14 minutes, and Tanahashi won with victory roll. Um, this was a more like a main event, longer match, uh, a lot more back and forth, a lot of cool spots here, in, uh, and and uh, they
3: actually played off that victory roll spot, and that was kind of a cool callback
2: as well. Yeah, they did a great job highlighting that in the BTR the, the video package. So even for like those you know casual fans, they saw that before the match. So that that helped too um archer there was one point where he, he hit the blackout and normally nobody really kicks out of the blackout um and so that was a great near fall there but he didn't kick out he
3: got to the
2: rope Oh, sorry he got his foot on the rope yeah yeah yeah
3: so um, ring awareness
2: yes the ace ahead um, but yeah a lot of great con- counters tanhashi countering the second blackout into a sling blade uh, we got the, the Aces high. We got three high fly flows. and. Oh,
3: bro, I was losing my, you know, Tanahashi's my guy. So, like, yeah. I was just, I was jumping up and down. I was acting boisterous. I don't normally act that way all the time. But, like, seeing, seeing Tanahashi, just knowing what's coming, like, I think it's just one of the greatest segments in professional wrestling. Just, you know, uh, I remember growing up thinking, like, that. Shawn Michaels tuning up the band was the best because you know what's coming, but like, dude, seeing him hit high fly flow to the back, high fly flow to the front, proper high <laughs> fly flow. You're just like, oh my god. He did it. He did it. And then yeah, the one, two, three was just so good.
2: Yeah, that was and... an awesome moment as a fan to see Tanahashi win a title live, uh, becoming the first Japanese talent to hold the US title, becoming the second yeah. Yeah, becoming the second grand slam. Champion, and it was just a, a great, you know, feel good moment for new Japan fans.
3: Yeah, he heard Jay White earlier in the night. He's like, Hold my beer.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think this is kind of what we predicted the ace winning the belt back, taking that belt back to Japan um, so they can have a secondary title there to uh, draw and put on some of these big shows. Um, Tanahashi did tweet out that he's on the way back to Japan. He tweeted out a picture of him and Nagata in in the airport today. I know a lot of fans really wanted Ace to stick around to face Moxley at All Out or at uh, the Grand Slam show in, in New York, Arthur Ashe Stadium. But it seems like the Ace is heading back.
3: Yeah, John Moxley was noticeably and highlighted on the show. He was at ringside sitting right by the red belt drinking a beer sitting back being an interested party my whole thing i was sitting there i was like this guy needs to go away okay he just lost a tag match like he's got no he won his match he gets to come <laughs> yeah. out <and> <laughs> yeah. um another funny thing too uh we were at a group meetup and apparently there was uh a contingency of japanese fans that were actually complaining about um <laughs> Complaining that like Tanahashi, you know, had just lost a major match to um, Shingo and didn't deserve to be getting this title shot. So I was like, man, I could, couldn't imagine fans that were upset about Tanahashi getting a title shot. That's so crazy. And, 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 P,
2: P, New Japan fans love logical booking, man. <laughs> yeah, we,
3: we made a joke at the meetup. I was like, if only there was a place where wins and losses mattered. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, oh, uh, but you know, but to be, to be fair, I mean, Tanahashi was not even supposed to be in that match. He won his match um, against uh, Kenta, and so he was supposed to come into this show with a win.
3: <laughs> right, right. So, yep. And, uh, yep. So the match ends. Archer cuts a really great promo just talking about how much he respects Tanahashi. And then he says, I want you to come to AEW. And when you do, I don't want you to fight anyone else. Before you fight me and give me another chance at that title. And like Tanahashi, I think he like promised it. Yeah, he, he said, would.
2: Yes, I promise. I, I promise you.
3: <laughs> yeah. So it's like he's apparently going to come to AEW and fight Archer. And then the Mox match is on Doc too. So and we've kind of said, and again, the Mox match could happen in Japan or in AEW. It's hard to know. Um, but, you know, there are those people, those conspiracy theorist fans that think that. Everything he's putting out about him going back to Japan, that it's all work, that he's not needed for those Cebu Dome shows, and that he's actually going to do business with Mox here in the States before he goes back for G1. I'm not so confident of that. I think they do need him <laughs> for the Cebu Dome shows desperately, so I'm and pretty sure
2: he's going. We got Toriyano versus Chase Owens. Uh, it's one of the highlight matches on the show. We need this.
3: <laughs> and, and you know what? It's funny. Western fans are like <laughs> – I'm gonna throw some shade at friends of ours, you know Western fans. Are like we need him on these AEW shows. I'm like, no, you don't, bro. If you want to watch? If you want to watch him, watch New Japan. <laughs> and they're like, they're like, we we want him in AEW. And I'm like, I mean, cool. That would be cool too. I'm not opposed to it, but like, damn, like business down, bro. Like,
2: <laughs> right, give us a cut some break. Give us a break, man. Um,
3: Steel Burger Bun asked us what makes Tanahashi so damn enjoyable.
2: Dude. There's so, Everything Yeah there's so much You talk about it's a, From the entrance I mean superstar entrance Guy comes out I mean, He looks in great shape too Like I know he's been Kind of having like The little like belly issue But he looked in like G1 Well obviously G1's coming up He looked in G1 shape here um, The selling is so great His selling is so great The storytelling the, uh, His
3: hair bro The his hair, hair the, the, the psychology Yes the high flying, you know, the desperation, the facial, the, the fighting timing. spirit
2: when he fires up.
3: Yeah, bro, he's just he's the fucking best. Like he is. Oh man, he's incredible. So, um, um, any final thoughts? Well, I guess my final thought in the show is I'll say this: this, even though this show, um, maybe lacked true what I would call like banger classics. The, Across the board, it was super enjoyable as far as just bell to bell action. There was really hardly any matches that I would say were like not worthwhile checking out. I mean, it was just a really good wrestling show. You compile that with like a really great setting, you know, big crowd, and then so many talking point moments. This sort of really just felt like a reset.
2: Yeah, it felt like like a reset. In Japan of USA. Yeah, it felt like a reset, like a big show, a lot of big angles, a lot of direction for the future. Um, I thought that uh, Matt Morris, um, former AEW English, did a great job on commentary with Kevin Kelly, and um, well, and could, it looks
3: like it looks like he's going to be doing um, matches. We'll talk about that, but you know, I'm not a big fan of active wrestlers doing the commentary. I prefer one or the other. You know?
2: Yeah. Um, and what's keep, why do I always keep forgetting his name? Alex Kozlov. Yeah, Alex Kozlov. And Kozlov, I thought he did really well um, on this show I, as well. I, I thought so too. I thought he did good. Yeah, it's a great booth.
3: One last thing. We're going to talk about um, tickets and upcoming shows that they've got. But one last talking point. Um, So, you know, we went into the show with technically one U.S.-based champion that was truly highlighted on New Japan Strong, that being Filthy Tom Lawler, that being the strong title established earlier this year. Coming out of the show – it really seems that we have three major singles titles now. We've got confirmation that, you know, Jay White's going to be featured on these upcoming shows, got Feuds in place, the Never title. And then you've got a secondary, maybe you could call it the lineal, maybe you, you can call it the real, maybe you can call it the fake IWGP world title. So now, like, how do you, What's your interpretation? Because to me, I see those two belts and those two caliber stars maybe detracting a little bit from what the strong title is supposed to be, And but maybe it's needed based on the fact that they're going to a live format and they're trying to sell tickets. I don't know.
2: Yeah, based on some of the stuff coming up, I definitely feel like they need the star power of Jay and Will. And then, yeah, having those guys with top towel is great. Uh, but, yeah, I do feel like it does kind of – Lower the strong title maybe to like a, like a TV title role um, instead of kind of being the, the top title in the brand. And we've been talking about this off air. I feel like this this could lead to Philly Tom confronting these guys on one of these shows and being like, hey, you know, you guys came in my territory. Like, I am a strong champ. I'm a top guy here. Maybe you get a feud somehow that way with, with the champions. But it does kind of lower the strong title a bit. Um, but I guess in a way With three titles now You can do three title matches Without having to bring people over
3: It'll be interesting to see How this all is handled And dealt with Going into you know This next phase of New Japan Strong
2: Yeah, and so um, Like we mentioned during the show They did make a couple of announcements For shows coming up So we already knew about the Philly um, and Texas shows coming up Well they announced another set of strong Tapings for the Day Nation Tour Which will be going to the Riverside Municipal Artorium and that will be On November 15th And wrestlers announced for that We got Switchblade Jay White, 50 Tom Waller Flamboyant Juice Robinson, David Finley The Stone Pit Bull, Hero, EGE Mr. No Dode's Off, Fred Roster, The Man of the Hour Leo Rush, The Alpha Wolf, Carl Fredericks The Wild Rhino, Clark Connors Story Daddy, Chris Dickinson, and Ren Narita. And then they also announced another big pay-per-view style show for the San Jose Civic Center called The Battle in the Valley, which will also be happening in November. And this will be November 13th, first time in two years that New Japan returns to the San Jose uh, Civic Center. Announced for this show, we have J.Y., Tom Mahler, John Moxley, Komohiro David Finley, Juice Robinson, Leo Rush, Hikaleo, Fred Rosser, and Ren Narita. Uh, WrestleTix has the uh, early um, ticket numbers from this show. So this was pulled around uh, 4 o'clock this afternoon from WrestleTix. Um, there is uh, 1,588 tickets available. A estimated capacity of 2,026. Uh, 438 tickets have been sold so far. So about 22% of the tickets Uh, We're gone from earlier this afternoon, and with every possible seat on the map, they could do 2,466, but obviously with staging, that might kill some of the seats. So about 22% of the tickets sold for this big uh, battle in the Valley so far. Yeah.
3: um, Watch the advertisement that they have for this show. Very interesting.
2: Yeah, I mean, just like with this show, of Resurgence, Tanahashi was featured in the advertisement was never announced until the last second. And if you watch closely, uh, Shingo Takagi and Kazuchika Okada are featured in this Battle in the Valley promotional video. So if all goes well, they can get them over here. It seems like we're going to get Shingo and Okada on this show.
3: Could be something. Might be nothing. But, uh, you know, it's just... They did it with Tanahashi... So, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I, that's post G1. So, I don't know. It's kind of funny, though. Um, you know, we, we showed up for this show and we were wondering how much media was going to be there. We saw the media list, you know, pretty exclusive, honestly, a lot less than I thought. We are wondering if Dave was going to make his way out there, but, you know, he didn't make the trip down to LA. So, it looks like New Japan decided we're going to take the show to Dave, a <laughs> show just for Dave Melzer in San Jose. <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, Osprey not announced yet, but I'm sure um, he might probably end up being on that show, and Dave would love that as well. <laughs> yes, uh, and we had a question here from Don Humie 101: Is it possible that we may get Wrestle Dynasty in the near future?
3: You know, that's an interesting question. During one of the inner like mission sort of things, they did a thank you video to the fans in the states, and kind of gave a, a, a kind of a weird history because it wasn't sequential. Um, but they gave a history of New Japan in, in the U.S. and the last four years. And at first, they started off with Wrestle Dynasty and how it was going to happen, and then it got canceled. And so we were looking at Chris. Chris looking at us. We're like, oh, my God, they're going to do yeah, MSG. Dude,
2: I, I pulled up the tweet. I was tweeting all night. I pulled it up. I was like, generated type, yo, New Japan's returning to Madison Square Garden. I'm like, say date, say date, say date. And it was like. Thank you for being a fan. I'm like, what? Yeah.
1: So I'm going to
3: tell you right now, it seems like probably a no for now, but anything is possible. But with the fact that this year's almost up, like, unless they're, unless they got big plans for 2022, it doesn't seem like anything this year like that's going to happen.
2: Yeah. And I know I'll see. You still in the pandemic there's you know a lot of mass restrictions starting to come up for indoors in certain states i think new york's going to be one of those states and requiring vaccination so
1: so
3: the the uh new japan strong tapings took place hearing very positive things about the atmosphere the crowd and the matches so uh very exciting but we've got the first episode coming out of the three episode taping that they did that's coming up this friday
2: well the, th- th- this friday is not a fan oh tape. this was pre-taped this was pre-taped this is still the summer struggle uh, empty arena show mm. um so th- everything that was taped on monday um, i'm guessing is probably going to be aired in september on-, on observer live rocky said it would be about three or four weeks before we saw what was taped um so everything for the time being as long as we're still in summer struggle it's going to be empty arena well, you know,
3: that kind of makes sense if hypothetically they did more build for Leo Rush and we'll wait and see. But if they had done more more build for Leo Rush and Filthy on the taping leading up to, you know, the, what just happened, that might make more sense.
2: Yeah. Um, so in the main event, we see the continuation of the, you know, Violence Unlimited and Team Filthy feud. The main event's going to be Brody King and Chris Dickinson versus Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs. Then the middle match, we'll have uh, Clark Connors from Narita and TJP taking on Fred Rosser, Fred Fred Rosser, Yehai, and the debuting Daniel Garcia, who's been all over uh, AEW the last couple of weeks. Uh, pretty excited about that and also continuing the build with the Ross and Narita match. And then the opening match, we'll get Matt Morris, a former AD English, making his New Japan debut as part of the Alex Coughlin Challenge Series and facing Alex, Alex Coughlin.
3: Yeah, it's interesting how through this partnership between these major companies, certain guys like Wheeler, Utah, Daniel Garcia, different, you know, others, uh, Danny Limelight, you know, guys that are getting work between all three companies but not ne- necessarily exclusively signed to any of them. Uh, that's kind of like an interesting development of this whole thing and something I think is kind of overlooked in the- and probably a net positive for everybody involved, you know.
2: Yeah, and also these guys get more experience, more time to shine, you know, bigger platform from these guys. And yeah, just once again, it's kind of helpful with that synergy. And yeah, it's really awesome to see a guy like Daniel, Gar- Daniel Garcia kind of show up here on Strong, especially after, I mean, all this was taped before his AW appearances. Now, with that AW some people might want to check this out on Strong.
3: So that's going to lead us into the Summer Struggle, the tour uh, this past Monday, and then earlier today, the 17th. Uh, big news going into the shows. There were wrestlers absent due to COVID protocols. Changes were made to the August 16th card. On Sunday, August 15th, Shingo Takagi and Bushi per, uh, presented with a fever on arrival at a live event in Shizuko. Sh- Shizuka. I don't usually have a problem pronouncing, but it looks like I do with this one. In accordance with New Japan's COVID-19 protocol, both wrestlers did not compete on the card and have undertaken PCR tests. Both will be absent from live events while awaiting the results. While contact will also be absent as a precautionary measure.
2: Yeah, so yeah, Shingo Bushi pulled off the card, and pretty much people who they were in contact with, so all of LIJ pulled from the card, um, and uh, Dick Togo and Gato pulled from the card and having to uh, forfeit their matches in the tag league.
3: Which ultimately doesn't matter because they were winless going into... (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah,
3: up to this point and, and already disqualified it anyways from winning. So um, on Monday, August 16th, we had great bash heel Togi Makabe and, uh, and Hanma defeated Master Wato and Ryuzuki Taguchi hearing really good things about Togi Makabe's performance on these nights. Uh, I am not fully caught up on the shows. We're kind of just going to go over some of the big angles and uh, big ongoings. Um, second match of the night, Goto and Yoshihashi, and Tinkoji, Um, they defeated the Suzuki-gun team of Doki, Suzuki, Taichi, and Zack Saber Jr. Third match of the night: Okada and Yano defeated Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Jado. And, and, and real
2: quick the- in that, because I forgot to put it in the news, the the stipulations were announced for the voting. It's voting's going on right now for the Yano Chase Owens match, and then you can either vote for Chase's rules, which is a traditional Texas. Strap match or Toriano Wants an I quit match so those Are the two votes last time I checked The I quit match was winning by A landslide so it looks like we're gonna get these guys In an I quit match
3: I liked my Idea of having both matches Combined <laughs> into one rule set <laughs> um, Super junior tag Team action we had the Bull club team of uh, Bull club's cutest tag team Fantasmo and Taiji Shimori. they Defeated the surging Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask, 16 minutes and 22 seconds, and the big talking point, the main event of the evening, uh, Su- the Suzuki-gun team of El Desperado and Yoshinabu Kanemaru defeated Roppongi 3K Show and Yo, 21 minutes and 52 seconds in the main event. But the big news coming out of this was the ongoing post match between Show and Yo.
2: Yeah, well, pretty much, it, and towards the end of the match, um, Desperado they're 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 beating down on Yo. Uh, he gets locked in the uh, Numero Dos and shows on the outside just looking you know, pissed off. He's you know, giving up on the team, and he just kind of walks out. 2 on one on Yo, that they, they pin him. And then, yeah, post-match, he comes back in the ring, picks that man up, hits him with a shock arrow, show Michael is finally leaving Marty Yonetti in the dust. He throws him through the barbershop window. He's strapping the rocket to himself, and he's going to elevate himself to the next level here.
3: Yeah, we've been – this is a moment we've had extensive discussion about for Forever. years, <laughs> like since the show started in 2017. So um, pretty pretty significant moment, a lot of questions, talking points, so let's get into it. Hawaiian, Hawaiian Punch BV uh, asked, what's next for Roppongi 3K after the split show maybe joins the United Empire? Uh, their singles match is a main event for Best of the Super Juniors, question mark.
2: Yeah, and um, Aaron Hernare did retweet the the angle of show Sho uh, driving Yo So that there could be some fire there behind him Joining the United Empire And a lot of people are like United Empire needs a junior So show has to join that faction I'm not sure he, he has to um, I mean, it would be cool to give him a new faction A new look and be the junior over there But I don't think he immediately needs to join them right away
3: Yeah, I mean, he could literally exist as an undeclared bad guy junior wrestler for the time being. That, that would kind of be an intriguing little tidbit or storyline for the time being, you know?
2: Yeah, or what if, crazy thought here, what if show becomes the leader of its own faction? I'm not sure who would be in it, but maybe there's some other people he could get to defect from Chaos or maybe some new debuts or somebody else that could he could get to kind of build his own group.
3: Yeah, that's interesting. As far as the super juniors, there's been a lot of... Um, discussion about prospective potential dome matches. I think a lot of people are kind of putting Hiromu and Desperado as their, you know, what's the main contention for a potential dome match. But keep in mind, they might be doing two nights. And with this split up, I mean, these guys are definitely on some sort of collision course. I don't know if Super Junior's main event is – where, you know, or finals is where it's headed. But given the fact that it's probably going to be a single block tournament again, we're going to see we're going to see these guys face off at some point and where they're headed. Who knows? I mean, this is something where we have to sit and watch and wait. Like, I don't know. You know, it's pretty, pretty exciting. Um, Rambo and Slam Pig asked us. He said, what is next for show? I would love to see him in United Empire. But if not there, then what else would be a good fit? How long until he gets a shot at the junior title?
2: Well, I mean, we've just seen him get a shot at the junior title recently, then he didn't win. Right. So this is definitely going to be a re kind of building phase for him. I could see him doing obviously very well in Best of Super Juniors, and maybe he maybe he wins, and that leads to a title match for him there, or maybe it's after Wrestle Kingdom. Um, but
3: well, well, well I think that's a lot of assumption there, Jeremy. I mean, you, you think about it. Like, yeah, he got a title shot recently, but that was as a face. That was a member of Roppongi 3K. Now, yeah. this guy, you know. He's a different guy now, and we know how they can be in New Japan where they just, you know, look at Evil. I mean, it's not quite the same thing because Evil won a tournament, but they could easily, like, plus it's a different champion, too. It's Robbie Eagles.
2: It's not right. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, Eagles, one of his stable mates in Chaos, his bay face. There's a story there. Yeah, they could definitely do an, an Eagles show match. I'm just thinking, I mean, we got G1 coming up. I don't think we're going to get a junior title match before G1 or during G1. So it has there's to be. two
3: there's two Sibu se- Doom sh- Cebu dome shows. That's
2: true, yeah. Well, he's already Eagles already facing Horomu. There's two nights. I know, but I don't know if they're going to do a back to back junior title matches like that. I'm not saying they will, but I'm not. I'm not. Uh, Maybe you do show him versus Yo on one of those on that on that, that dome. That's a possibility too.
3: You know, um, there's a lot of possibilities. Uh, we kind of talked about where you know what kind of what the future holds for him, as far as like factions go. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, again, it's exciting because we don't know what's next. Yeah. Um, Maza asked, show Michaels finally got rid of the dead weight of Marty Unetti, but in all seriousness, what are the odds? This could be a wrestle kingdom match perhaps for the junior title. That is a possibility.
2: Yeah, that, that is a possibility. Um, I don't know. I, I definitely I just feel stronger in Hiromu somehow being involved in that title picture, unless Hiromu's you know being pushed up the heavyweight. Going to be in the G one. He's going to wrestle heavyweight the rest of the year. But uh, but definitely well, c- could do a showyo title match.
3: I will say this. I don't think Show's ready for heavyweight because if you noticed, he's actually looked a lot slimmer. He's he. Uh, I, this was a joke I was going to make the other week right now it looks like yo's in the middle of a bulk and uh, shows in the middle of a cut because he is like all cut up and yo is looking like bigger than I can ever remember him ever looking before. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, last year they did do like two, um, junior matches back to back, kind of their own version of the double gold sort of deal. they're, Could be something like that for the Dome this year again. But maybe you have these two involved with potentially, especially since Desperado seems to be so tied up in the split of Rapongi 3K. And maybe you could have Robbie Eagles involved somehow. I don't know. You know, it's it's hard to say. It's interesting.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of different ways they can go with it. Obviously, these guys are going to feud somehow, whether the title is involved or not. We'll have to wait and see.
3: It is kind of funny, like, it. Uh, Desperado
2: was sort of the guy that was the catalyst for this.
3: It started with that promo, that scathing promo that he he cut on them, and it was so, like, you know, detrimental. Yeah, and then yeah, now— who, who
2: knows? Maybe show joins Suzuki-Goon. I mean, they already have three juniors, but, I mean, could add another.
3: There are people that would like to see that, um, you know. I also saw people talking about—they're, like, you know, reaching out to Jay. They're, like, Jay— <laughs> yo, Yohei Kamatsu is a free agent. Maybe you should pick your boy up. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. Dom Hone Homie One Hundred and One asked us any thoughts on. Oh, did I just answer that? No, I didn't. No. Sorry. Any thoughts uh, on the split of Roppongi Three K? Thoughts on how it was done? Could it have been done in a better way? Or been done on a bigger show? And did the right guy turn? How will this play out for both Show and Yo? And I think that that's interesting because. This is kind of like their tournament. So it's poetic in a certain sense, but also kind of a minor show. And this is a big split, you know? And it does seem like maybe it's too small of a stage for it.
2: Yeah, I I feel like nobody has been watching these shows. I mean, there's like barely any grapple reviews, barely any cage match reviews, not a lot of people uh, really talking about what's going on with these shows. And. Um, yeah, you you would think in a split like this that people have literally been asking us about for years: who's going to turn on who, When's the split going to happen, what's gonna, what, you know what's the future of these guys, who's the star? Um, you would you would think maybe at the dome show they would have done this, or you know, best Super Juniors like save it for a, a bigger platform where more, where more people are watching. But from a story perspective, it does make sense to happen in a Super Junior Tag League where they've won it three years in a row and they're normally the top team. Um so, yeah, the story wasn't makes sense, but yeah, it could have been on a bigger stage.
3: I agree. And then finally, he asked, what does the future of New Japan's junior tag team division look like without Rapange 3K? And
2: well, no. you know what that means, Josh? We've watched our last Despi versus Con- Despy and Kanamaro versus Rapange 3K match for the time being, hopefully. For,
3: for the time being. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, th- this is the flagship team of the division. And now that they're no longer. A, f- a part of that division we get to see them kind of take their rightful roles as single stars in the just general IWGP junior division I wouldn't be surprised if along the way they pick up alternate partners and we see them feud against one another over the junior titles down the line
2: yeah that would, that would make a ton of sense I mean in, in the meantime you, you still have bull Club's cutest tag team you got despian and Kanemaru uh, and you- that's it <laughs> yeah, I mean, also, they, they stick Wato <laughs> and Gucci together, um, Tiger Mask and Eagles, like, <laughs> there's not, there's not much.
3: It it does create a vacuum that hopefully a good team comes in and fills in, in the future.
2: Yep, yeah, and then that takes us to the 17th, where that show is also affected by COVID protocols due to show and, Shingo and Bushi's fever. They're still waiting on the result of the PCR test, so... Those guys pulled again. All the LIJ guys pulled again. Dick Togo and Gato pulled again. They forfeit their last match. So they're 0-5. And And then Sho and Yo's um, split um, has also caused them to forfeit their last match as well. So they are also finishing the league up 0-5.
3: And since their final match was against Gato and Giotto we don't even have to watch Gato and Jato beat them. Both teams forfeit the match. Both teams get zeros. Both teams finish the tournament with zero <laughs> points. Yeah. Um, on this evening, we had Great Khan defeating Hanma, 10 minutes, 50 seconds. Makabe and Yano defeating the Bullet Club. Oh, most violent, most violent players. Yeah. Bad together. MVP. <laughs> uh, they defeated the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens and Jato. It's a lot of two wins in a row for Toriano teams against Chase Owens teams. I don't know. Um Suzuki-Gun team of Doki, Suzuki, and Dangerous Techers. They defeated the Chaos team of Goto and Yoshihashi, along with Tenkoji, 15 minutes and 21 seconds. And then the double main event, Super Junior Tag League action, we had Wato and Taguchi as they defeated Eagles and Tiger Mask, 15 minutes and 40 seconds. And in the main event, the deciding match, uh, suzuki Goon, El Desperado, and Yoshinabu Kanemaru, they defeated the Bull Club's cutest tag team. El Phantasmo and Taiji Shimori, and that makes them this year's winners of the Super Junior Tag League.
2: Yeah, at the end of the match, um, Kanamaru was the legal man. ELP thought it was Despy. He hits the sudden death on Despy. He throws Taiji on Despy. Raichi was like, hey, man, Kanemaru's a legal man. They started arguing. Kanemaru hits a low blow, rolls up ELP. One, two, three. Despie and Kanamaru get the win. They challenge ELP and Taiji post-match for the junior tag team titles. Uh, but interesting stuff in ELP and Taiji's post-match promo. They are more focused on going to Strong because they are going to be on the upcoming, some of the upcoming tapings. And they talked about going to Strong and wanted to face some of the best junior tag teams in Strong. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do here.
3: Although I don't think there's any true established junior tag teams that I can think of. So, you know, maybe we're going to see some alliances formed, some, you know, new teams kind of formated. Although, um, you know, this is – it kind of reminds me of, like, remember when G.O.D. came in? They just ran, ran roughshod over everybody. Yeah. <laughs> but um, final Super Junior Tag League standings, Desperado and Kanemaru, they're, they're your winners. Uh, eight points. Um and they have a tiebreaker over the Bull Club's cutest tag team, who also had eight points. Um, both finished with four and one records. Taguchi and Wato finished with six points, as well as Robbie Eagles and Tiger Mask, who were on an undefeated path, but then lost the last two nights, kind of knocked them out. And then, like we mentioned, Roppongi 3K and the Bull Club team, both with zero wins.
2: Yeah, we thought that uh, you know Eagles and Tiger Master were going to get a win over the Cuse Club, Bull Club's Tag Team to uh, you know get a tag title match there, but that's not the case. They beat that team, and it looks like they're holding off maybe on the the Eagles ELP rivalry and matchup.
3: They also, I will say this, um, that team was very impressive. Eagles always impressive, but since winning the title and returning from Australia and kind of given this new opportunities, really showing out. But, like, Tiger Mask put in really good work returning from Diverticulis. This is, like, his best showing since, like, Super Juniors in, like, 2019. Remember he went on that, like, three three like three back-to-back wins that year? Yeah, right at the, the
2: beginning of the tournament. Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, so
3: very impressed with him. Impressed with almost all these teams, honestly. Um, so, you know, big story showing yo, break up. They mm-hmm. go out with a whimper and then a bang and yeah, it's it's sad, especially for those who are big, big fans. You know, Karen Sensei, probably the biggest like Rapunga three K fan there is, uh, has to be like, you know, heartbroken, but uh it had to be done.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanna know where does this, this leave rocky because you know he still announces a part of Rapungi three K when he comes out, so I wanna what was-
3: leave some it leaves him where he's always been, back over in the U.S., taking
2: care of all of <laughs> yeah. everything. Uh, he's got to get rid of those 3K jackets now, though.
3: <laughs> he's gonna keep. He's got to sell them all out. Yeah. <laughs> if you go on his uh, Pro Wrestling Tea Store, there's still Roppongi Vice shirts on sale. So.
2: Hey, well, there was a rapongi Vice reunion a couple of weeks ago. So. Well, that's going
3: <laughs> to do it for those shows. Let's get into the news.
2: Yeah, so G1 Climax 31 is going to be presented live in English on New Japan World for the whole tour. Every live event in English, Kevin Kelly will be heading over to Japan to do the G1. So I'm guessing maybe that's kind of why they were testing out Matt Morris. So maybe we're going to get Matt Morris and Kozlov as the main team on strong during those tapings while Kevin Kelly is in Japan calling G1.
3: Hey, if they need someone to jump on the stick, you know, you got two, two guys right here willing to travel, willing to do what's needed. Um, you know, uh, good on Kevin. You know, um, thank you for your dedication. Uh, you know, that's a long time away in the middle of a pandemic, away from your family and long, crazy hours. And, you know, but it wouldn't be the G1 without Kevin calling it live. So
2: Right. And I think, you know, that's one thing that kind of hurts these shows for the people who only want to listen to English. You, you know, waiting a day behind, it's hard to avoid spoilers And most people end up watching Japanese, and Kevin Kelly is so great, and I think his work needs to be heard. So glad it's going to be live English and should be a lot of fun for G131. Um, Then coming up for the MetLife Dome, we're going to have some special stardom matches. Of course, there will be dark matches due to, you know, the whole airing and television, TV rights, things. But there will be uh, two stardom dark matches for those uh, MetLife Dome shows. Official matches not announced yet. And then last thing here, like I mentioned earlier, Will Ospreay is returning to RevPro to defend the undisputed British Heavyweight Championship um, against Doug Williams. So there's been some heat here. Doug Williams calling Ricky Knight Jr., the true British Heavyweight Champion. Um, So Ospreay coming to face him the same weekend. Ricky Knight Jr. will be defending against Shota Umino.
3: He's also announced for the next day... Uh, at the Portsmouth Guild Hall for Revpro taking on Robbie X as well.
2: Mm, so, so that
3: both of those have been announced.
2: Yeah, so Osprey getting on work back there. Um, and so Rev the, how Pro.
3: about how about this? Got a tweet here two hours ago right when we started recording from Will Osprey. So we got lads and strong impact ROH PWX, CMLL, RevPro, OTT, Aew. who wants some then question mark Osprey versus the world
1: hmm
2: so this man you know gonna do a world tour of matches
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well he apparently has the world iwg the, the title the real so. world title and you know you mentioned uh cml roh in one of those videos they mentioned that they did, they did mention that they were still partners with both ring of honor and cmll which i thought was interesting mention did that. they
3: mention Red pro in that video because i don't think they did
2: they did not yeah, they mentioned. Which I thought
3: was interesting.
2: Yeah, they mentioned, you know, our partnerships that we already have with R and CMLL and then our new partnerships with Impact and AEW.
3: Yeah. But that is going to do it for the news. So let's jump into these questions and finish the show out. So we um, got some good ones here. Uh, MJ does PR. He said the last three IWGB champions have all been former junior champs. How long does Romu have left in the junior division? Will this be his final? Year
2: question mark it's a great Great question um, I think The issue of that has just been The state of the junior division You really don't have a lot of stars In that division right now Hiromu it's kind Of been the Hiromu show for the last couple of Years and obviously with Shingo And Will kind of being called up In you know, the end of 2019 It left it all for it, Division became Hiromu and friends so If Hiromu leaves it's going to Be hard know, finding that kind of new draw. They really don't have somebody there. Then with restrictions, you don't have a lot of guidance coming in. So it might leave the junior division in a rough spot if Romo leaves anytime soon. But I mean, I think he has he has the star power to be heavyweight, and you know, he's put on some size over the years. I think you know he can be, have the size to be a heavyweight. I just don't know. You know, when they can do that with him being the main guy in the junior division.
3: Yeah. And I mean, you know, we kind of felt this way about Will Ospreay a year or two before he made the jump, you know, because it kind of was feeling like he had done everything there was to do, but he really hadn't. And I feel the same way about um, Hiromu. I mean, especially when you consider how many times he's been on the shelf and the amount of time he's taken off and the perspective matches that are on the table. Per once the pandemic is let up, a lot of those are first time matches that just really have been put on the back burner because of the pandemic. I think he has a lot more um, ability to build in this tournament or in this division going forward. You know um, it's just the juniors have had to take such a, a back seat because of everything that's happened.
2: Right. And also back to that question about the junior tag titles. Also Hiromu wasn't in the tag league, but Hiromu and Bushi is something you could always do as well.
3: Yeah. Uh, in one of our Facebook groups, a uh, friend of the show, he actually pointed out. I said, in the last 10 years, um, AJ, Omega, Abushi, Osprey, and Shingo are all guys that have held the title, but you know, have been um, billed as 220 or, or lower. You know, it's so all guys that kind of came from like a junior division background as well. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. But um, I I think Hiromu maybe one day will make that jump, but I I don't think that there's a need for him to do it. Just yet. I think there's still some work to do. And I think that if he does make the jump, he should leave it better. Kind of the way Will did. Will really built up quite a few people during his time there and then and then kind of like made that jump, you know?
2: Right. So our next question is uh comes from uh, Dom Homie101. It says, How do you think Oh wait,
3: one one thing. Did you notice that in that whole list he didn't list NWA?
2: I did not notice that.
3: <laughs> this man doesn't want to go down to Atlanta.
2: <laughs> that man's not trying to do you know that that studio wrestling for for Billy Corrigan. Also, uh,
3: he he listed AEW at the bottom of his list.
2: Probably for some heat. You know he knows yeah, fans would get for, mad about for, for, it. <laughs> for,
3: for, for the heat. <laughs>
2: uh, Don, we want one with a series of questions here. First, he asks, "How do you think the fallout that is going on with NXT will affect New Japan?"
3: I don't know. I I don't worry about it.
2: I, I mean, what's going to happen is guys are going to keep getting released. People are going to ask us who we think they should sign. They're going to sign some of those people and we're going to get some you know, news faces on strong.
3: Yeah. I, I kind of like the idea of what we discussed earlier, how there's some guys who are kind of getting freelance work amongst all the different kind of companies. And again, that's a positive thing for everybody involved. I don't know if that's, you know, maybe befitting certain guys of a certain level, but you know, it's interesting. It's really interesting about the guys that have either been under that have worked in new Japan before, like Bronson Reed, like Bobby Fish, Russ, Bobby Fish, Russ Tyler, um, or Alex Luther. Zane. Alex Zane. Yeah. So those ones in particular, I mean, bro, Blake Christian's going to get cut next. I'm telling you. Oh
2: yeah. I, I see the writing on the wall for him.
3: He's got a, he doesn't have the look he's young, but he does not have the look that they, they want at all. He he'll probably be gone. You know, Ben Carter's probably next too.
2: I mean all of NXT UK is probably next.
3: Oh bro, the A Kid. Let's get that's bro, let's get the fucking A Kid. Let's,
2: let's get Tyler Bate. Let's get Walter. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um non New Japan questions. Thoughts on this year's lineup of SummerSlam? Will you guys be watching to see the leader of the C-Nation attempt to throw in the tribal chief to become the head of the table, LOL? Um, you know, I, I don't know much about the rest of the lineup, but because that match is a big match, I was going to watch Pacquiao-Spence, but Spence is out, and I don't really care that much about Ugas, I think is who he's fighting. So, yeah, I'm probably going to watch
2: SummerSlam. Yeah, well, I mean, you invited us over, so I hope we <laughs> be watching SummerSlam.
3: Yeah, we're gonna have a have a little shindig here.
2: We're gonna have a, a Joshua themed Jeremy birthday party, <laughs> and also a, a, a slash going away party for uh, Josh Number Two. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll be watching SummerSlam. Honestly, I know some of the matches on the card, but it's whatever. It's we're probably just gonna clown the card the whole time as we watch. So whatever.
3: Um, non wrestling question: Any rec- restaurant recommendations to check out in LA? Did you guys meet any non wrestling celebrities? No, no wrestling celebrities. Um You know, we 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 ate at In and Out. We ate at Roscoe's. Those are like kind of staples in you know California, uh, LA area. The Parks Barbecue is like the only thing I'd be like, that's a big recommend. That,
2: that yes, that was like a five, that was five stars. That was a five star meal, definitely do that Um, in and out um, Roscoe's definitely like you mentioned those staples to check out but yeah there's a lot of great restaurants we've got so many recommendations that we just didn't have time to to go to
3: any predictions for Manny Pacquiao versus your Dennis Ugas I'm going with the draw Um, I'll take Manny Pacquiao on points Um, I don't really know Ugas like that to be honest with you and um, you know I've seen Pacquiao lose at this later stage in his career, but he mo- he usually wins and I've heard he had a great camp. So who knows, you know, uh, he was prepping for Errol Spence. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, he also said, what are your thoughts on many Pacquiao still being salty over, um, the Floyd May- Mayweather loss and does he need to move on? And it's like, yeah, uh, I think both guys had particular, you know, talking points and issues with, that match and the officiating and the rules and the hubbub surrounding it. And it's kind of one of those things, like, you know, they're, they're probably never going to get over it because it was the defining fight of both their careers. Very similar to, you know, you think about, like, Tommy Hearns and, like, uh, and freaking Sugar Ray Leonard or, like, Leonard and Duran and, like, or Leonard and freaking um, – Marvin Hagler and like those guys all had like long-time grudges for generations, even after their fight. So, you know, they'll probably never get over it. Um, Thoughts on Bernard Hopkins questioning the legitimacy of Errol Spence Jr.'s eye injury and wanting Spence to show his injury report. In my opinion, I think B hop should be questioning his boss about those racist emails that came out years ago. Instead of worrying about Errol Spence's situation. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't take most of the things Bernard Hopkins says, Seriously. So I don't really know much about this, but, you know, at the same time, there's a part of me that's like, dang, you know, that's a big fight. And, you know, you're going to pull out like you should maybe prove I think you should have to prove what ailment you have to constitute, you know, the right to pull out a few weeks before the one the biggest fight of your life, you know?
2: Yeah, uh, got. I don't, I
3: don't think that's unreasonable.
2: Got a COVID update here from uh, Shingo and Bushi. Just just posted on New Japan website. As a result of PCR testing conducted across the roster following the August 15th Summer Struggle 2021 event, New Japan Pro Wrestling has learned of two positive tests for COVID 19.
3: <gasps> no, two,
2: two wrestlers, Shingo Takagi and Bushi, who presented with a fever and missed their match on the day of the August 15th event, were immediately tested in accordance with COVID protocols. With the tests returning positive. Their fevers went down and their conditions are not becoming worse. According to protocols and under medical advice, they are isolating and receiving appropriate treatment. New Japan Pro will continue dealing appropriately with the situation following the directions given from the health care center. We'll work to further strengthen our COVID-19 countermeasures and run events with infection prevention and safety for all fans, wrestlers, staff, and relevant people as a first priority. New Japan deeply apologizes for the concern caused the fans and personnel asks and asks for your understanding.
3: Well, um, you know, let's first things first, that's terrible, but you know, glad to hear that they're doing well and that their conditions seem to be improving. So that's that's great. Now that we've got that part out of the way, when are these MetLife Dome shows? Uh, September fourth like... and fifth. So you're talking about literally two weekends from now? Yeah. So, you know, obviously health comes first, but that puts those shows in serious jeopardy. Yeah. Uh, specifically when it comes to Shingo Takagi and the IWGP world title.
2: Yeah, man, this this world title, man, it's cursed. We're going to end up in another situation where we have to vacate. It, it's cursed. It's cursed. <laughs> has
3: nothing to do with the global pandemic. It's cursed.
2: <laughs> the title's cursed, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, luckily yeah, it sounds like you know, fever's going down. It seems like the symptoms might be going away. I know they, they isolate for two weeks. They uh, He might be back just in time for these shows.
3: Yeah. So, um, you know, best thoughts and wishes go out to them and, you know, hope they recover. And we'll keep you posted as we learn more about plans for the MetLife Dome. Um, Hawaiian Punch BV, final questions. He said thoughts on Pacquiao's new opponent. Your Dennis Ugas, I feel he's a beatable opponent, but two years off in your 40s is a long time. Also, I watched the Thurman fight again, and I still scored it for Pacquiao 115-112, close fight, but Pacquiao's fight. Um, I'll say this. I've never seen your Dennis Ugas. I don't know hardly anything about him. Um, I'll do some research, but uh, you know, I'll take your word for it. Although, I don't know if I should take your word for it because Thurman definitely beat Pacquiao. <laughs> <laughs> In that fight. But yeah, it was a close fight. So 115, 112 is pretty, pretty good. If you were going to judge it for Pacquiao, that's probably the score I think you'd have to go with. Um, Maybe that maybe 114, 113 is another one somewhere in that range. Um, And then finally, uh, RIP to a real hero in Jamal Hepburn, a.k.a. real hero from the Real Hero Archive.
2: Yeah, RIP to him, you know, very young guy, very sad to hear about his passing, a guy that's been very influential in, you know, helping, you know, the Western fan base watch uh, Pure Rezu and, you know, getting videos, you know, not charging anything, just working so hard to get people um, access to uh, Japanese footage before all the streaming services were around.
3: Yeah, I've never met Jamal, I've never interacted with him, um, but, you know across the board if you've watched japanese wrestling on daily motion on youtube or any you know any of his drives or the real hero archive drive or any you know um sharing website very high likelihood that he had a hand in providing that material to you um you know, this is a really big loss. A lot of people that did know him have nothing but great things to say about him. I I do know real hero Eric, who I believe also helped with the archive as well.
1: Yeah. But
3: I've never I've never interacted with Jamal. Many people from our website and from our um, network have and have had very positive things to say. And um, I think some people that knew him knew that there were like health issues and things like that. And I I've gone through his Twitter, and there might be some allusions to that, but. Um, still very young very unexpected and it's a big loss uh you know there's certain members of the wrestling community you know that have contributed a lot and Jamal's one of them you know you think about like Larry Kazanka mm. and some of these you know some of these guys and girls you know when they pass away I, I think of Casey from um uh,
2: a squared circle sirens from
3: squ- squared circle sirens you know and it's like there have been some uh, not just that, but like some of the deaths that have occurred in, in wrestling um, just recently, just in the industry. And then a lot of these fans are very unfortunate and um, you know, rest in peace to him. Best wishes and thoughts to his family. It's very unfortunate.
2: Yeah. Well, last thing to close the show off here, recommended match of the week. So last week, our guest Chris Samsa, recommended that we watch hangman page or switchblade Jay white from strong style evolved. Um and watch this matchup. What do you what do you think about this matchup, Josh? So this one was super
3: interesting because, you know, it was at a time when interest in the US was at probably an all-time high for for the product, but then at the same time, Jay White had literally just won the US belt from Kenny Omega. He was coming off of a very lackluster received match in the dome against Tanahashi. And then, um, you know, the match with Kenny Omega was kind of like overshadowed by the bullet club angle that kind of or followed it. And hangman page was nowhere near the level of star that he is. Both guys were kind of in their formidable, you know, developmental kind of phases of their career with new Japan at the time. And the match is, I'll say this. I think from an in-ring perspective, the match is very good, but Bowen, I don't think either guy had really worked at this sort of level for a prolonged period of time just yet. So there are certain things that like both of them do in their matches now from like a pacing, timing standpoint, uh, working the crowd standpoint where they're not doing that in this match. It's a lot of moves, 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 but they're missing a lot of the in-between small stuff that both of them are masters of now. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think it really showed because the crowd never truly gets behind this match. I think part of it is because, again, they're in that like early phase where they haven't established themselves yet, but I think also they didn't do a good enough job getting the crowd to really invest in the story they're telling In a certain sense, you know what it reminded me of? Reminded me a lot of dojo matches. Mm. You know, everything they're doing is good, but they and but they're working at a level that's maybe higher than where they deserve to be. And I don't mean to say that in the wrong way, because I mean they're clearly both very talented. They're pulling out the big stops. I mean, Hangman Page is like killing himself in this match. Yeah, there
2: was a a lot of crazy bumps that he took um, that. German on the apron. Uh, we, yep. we talked off the air. I forgot about that spot. That was nuts. Um, the I think it was like one of the first times we saw like the Saito over the top rope um, spot from Jay White, and Haman took a nasty bump on that. He took a, a Saito on the outside.
3: They did. They did a re- some really cool stuff. But you know, I think their inexperience coupled with maybe the crowd not just not having a deep investment in the story or the characters, um, detracted from the atmosphere. Um, at the same time, I'd still probably go like three and three quarters, four stars on this match. I think it is a little bit underrated, but I was surprised that on the rewatch, sometimes you rewatch something and it seems better. But this didn't, this just kind of held exactly where I saw it the first time I watched it, you know?
2: Yeah, I think it was one of the situations you pointed out with like the Fredericks and Coughlin where they were getting kind of little reception at first and had to work really hard to get reactions. Also, they were doing a lot of big spots, you know, Hangman. you know, did the, the moonsault to the outside. And a lot. They were doing a lot of kind of big moves to get some pops. And so, but I feel like by the end of the match, there was, there was dueling, you know, let's go, um, Hangman. let's go, uh, white chance.
3: Well, you know, in my experience, my limited experience with wrestling, but just observing guys that are even at a higher level than me, you know, um, putting a match together, there's different ways to do it, and then there's different levels of it, you know? And when you're talking about main event, big big show-level wrestling, I mean, with the amount of time they have, they have a lot of time to fill. And I don't know that... I, I think they're definitely at the level just beneath it where they could definitely have a really good, like, mid-card match, but I don't think they're ready to have, like, a main event match just yet. But at the same time, New Japan was willing to trust them and take a chance on them, and I feel like they at least delivered on what was asked of them they didn't over deliver but i think they met the expectations they had a very good match and like we talked about last week this was a this is a really interesting match because now if these two guys were to meet people would be all over it. it'd be a huge deal and this was kind of like a crossroads match for both guys at the time
2: yeah, and I thought it was a perfect match, you know, in hindsight for Chris to pick, um, you know, with both these guys being huge stars now and with the post-match angle of Dave Finley coming at a challenge, Jay White for the U.S. title, and also that. Uh... I forgot
3: that ever happened.
2: Yeah. And I forgot
3: about it, and then,
2: like, got, to got see... got similar reaction.
3: <laughs> to see the crowd's react it was actually in some ways worse. There's, like, these two smarky New Japan fans front row right in the camera, and the whole time he's cutting a promo... They're just like, no, no. Yeah, Thumbs they're down. <laughs> but, you know, that promo was really kind of heelish. And that's one thing I've noticed. I kind of think that Finley might be a more naturally suited heel. And I've never heard anyone else say that. But, like, a lot of the stuff he does is kind of cocky and arrogant and kind of off-putting. Yeah. And I've, I feel like maybe he should just be a heel.
2: And that that could be the key to solve, you know, kind of what's been missing with him. And so, yeah. Because he's so
3: talented, man.
2: Yeah, he's very but, talented.
3: Oh, but when you compare his physique back then to his physique now, it's night and day. Like, oh, he's, he's in so way much better, better shape now. <laughs> so, very, very interesting pick. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, let's go uh, close out my recommended match of the week. You know, um, I really liked the Ishii match this past week, but it wasn't quite the exact story that I love from Ishii. You know, my whole thing is I like when Ishii goes out there and has a fucking war and smashes and just has those violent, never-style matches. And I, I, even though that match that he had in L.A. was very good, it wasn't quite that. So I was like, you know what? Let's match him up with somebody from the past where we can see that kind of war. And when I was thinking about it, there's a, another match that just happened over in the green mats of Noah. You know, Sugira and um, Tanaka just had a banger in Noah that everyone's raving about. Super violent, never style match. I haven't seen it yet, plan to check it out. So um, my recommendation is the is a match that's not talked about that much, but deserves to be. It is Masato Tanaka versus Tomohiro Ishii for oh, the never man. for the never open weight title from February Third, 2013 New Japan Road to New Beginning. So this is a Road to main event, and um, Dave never rated it. It does have a 9.18 on Cage Match, and I can tell you this: this might be the most violent Tomohiro Ishii match of all time.
2: Man, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I've seen this match. I love Mas- Masaka Tanaka, and so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to checking this one out.
3: Listen, this dude, this dude Ishii, bleeds from his forehead, he bleeds from his mouth, and he bleeds from his hands, and his eyes get swollen shut, and I'm pretty sure he broke a bone in his face. That's how violent this match is.
2: Man, sounds like a, a strong style fight of the year.
3: <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's going to be my recommendation. It, this is available on New Japan World, and uh, I think it's going to over deliver, so.
2: Nice. Well, that is going to wrap things up for this week's show. Next week, we'll be back to uh, preview or review whatever is coming up with the Summer Struggle uh, Tour in Japan, as well as what's going on on New Japan Strong. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com donate and click the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at ki style. The network is at suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we are Facebook.com slash suplex. You can also find us at the Wrestling Squared Circle, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we're at social suplex. On Reddit, I am the Pro Black Guy. Y'all just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We have One Nation Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. We have the Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. 8-Bit Suplex with Josh, number two. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the Great Match Generator with Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping a Strong Style, the ace of... Podcast.
3: Leave my man Jeremy Donvin a happy birthday wish. Send him some kudos. Leave a rating or review. Do something for this man. He puts in the work because he is itchy. Bond.
1: Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.